Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very, very special episode of the Sofa Chronicles. Um, it is indeed episode 30. We've been doing this for 30 weeks. Isn't that? That's nuts. That's nuts. Crazy. Doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like it. And it's it, probably took me that long to convince you to do the show in the first place. It did, roughly. Yeah. Look at us now. Doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we have we have a special episode. It's today. a very special episode. Our first remote guest is on the show today. Uh, as always, I'm here with uh, my main man, Mister Jacob Giles, who hey there, is everyone. Uh, his beard looks fantastic. Fantastic. God damn it! It looks fantastic. Thank yes, you, it does. Sir. There you go. That is in due part to uh, the beard struggle. Yes. Shout out to the beard struggle, keeping us in check. Keeping these beards looking good, feeling healthy, nice shine, smelling fantastic. Very much so. I can smell it from here. We're trying so hard. It's wafting across the room. We're trying so We're trying hard. so hard. Sponsors. Uh, gentlemen, before we get started, I would like to do something real quick if I could. Um, it is Sunday, September 10th, and we are all aware of what tomorrow is, the 22nd anniversary of September 11th. And uh, if we could just have a observe a quick moment of silence in lieu of that, uh, if y'all are good with that. I'm fine with that. Okay. Here we go. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. All right. So now you can introduce the guest. I can introduce the guest. I'm very, very excited for this guest to be on the show today. It's a van that I very deeply respect. Um, has been a 20-plus year veteran of the fire service, currently serving in Escambia County, Florida. Uh, he's been a flight medic. He is, he's been an instructor at Midway Fire Academy, which is where I met him. Uh, and he is our first remote guest. He is very willing to be our guinea pig for this today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Captain Joel Richardson. Good afternoon, sir. Hey, guys. Really appreciate you having me. and. Uh... Glad that we're uh, able to expand the the Sofa Chronicles a little bit with a little bit remote action. So kind of cool to get that going and give some more opportunities for you guys. So appreciate the opportunity to be here. Oh no, the the pleasure is mine for sure on having you here today, sir. Could have went with ours, but thanks, bud. Well, I mean, it, <laughs> I, I know, but the pleasure is definitely ours. But you know, I'm honored to have this man here today. You're right. I've never got the chance to meet this man. I like to. Yeah, I like he's a, he he's a very like-minded individual. Um, I met him. He was currently he was act, he got mm. boy. You are struggling, and we are not even. We just hit the three minute mark. Words and are you hard. are struggling. I I don't I don't know I don't know. I when think I, you're I think you're just flustered. I might be. I'm starstruck a little bit. <laughs> well, we got a long way to go. So you better get your words in line. So let's words are hard. <laughs> yeah, sounds like he's on a time limit and you're screwing it up. Oh uh, no, no, we're good. We're good, man. We got the rest of the night. I'm actually uh, sitting in my office on my couch, so just to get in the mood for the uh, the sofa aspect of it. I appreciate oh, him perfect. way more already. That is perfect. Uh, I met him. He was Lieutenant Richardson. Uh, what you were? What engine were you on at the time? Uh, probably engine, well, ladder 19 and then engine 16, most likely. Yeah. For that's, city, or for the county, for the county. Yeah. Yeah. So this was 2016 timeframe. Yeah. That'd be mm. engine 16. Yeah. In what county? 
Uh, he is Escambia County, Florida. Yeah, I don't know if that was said, but just wanted to get that out there. Oh, I thought I did. Yeah, I so apologize if I didn't. Engine 16 down to Warrington. Mm. Uh, the uh, front, front gate to NAS Pensacola. Yes. Mm. Okay. Um, yep. And I, like I said, he was one of our instructors at Midway Fire Academy. Um, I got to know him very well because I sucked ass at running <laughs> so bad. And the guys, the two guys that sucked worse at running than I did quit on the same day. And that was one of the days we did the Kel run, um, which is a, a run that goes, it's a mile and a half run that goes around the fire station in Midway uh-huh. where they chase you with a fire truck. You know, if you fall behind, they'll, they'll kill you or something like that. Sweet. <laughs> So, and not to hurt your feelings, Josh, but uh, we never told you guys, but it was actually 1.65 miles. It didn't matter. I still sucked. A mile and a half. <laughs> I so still sucked, so it didn't matter. You feel better about the fact that you ran you know, 1.65 instead of just one and a half. So all that time just built up. Good. So Has it gotten better? Has what gotten better? You're running. Uh, not since I've gained 60 pounds. No, it has not gotten better. <laughs> it has gotten um, on the back burner. <laughs> it sounds like it's on no burners at all. Yeah, stove's not even on. <laughs> so on this particular day, I'm referencing um, Lieutenant Richardson was leading our run. I, of course, fell behind. So what he did with the rest of my class was every time they'd hit an intersection, they would make a U-turn at the intersection, come back and run around me, and then run to the next intersection. And... uh my class yeah. made me aware that I was a piece of shit. <laughs> At least they were on. We just uh, we just showed you and gave you an opportunity for improvement. How about that? Yeah, we can go with that. He made so, that sound real nice. Uh, well, this this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to him. Uh, the floor is yours, uh, Joel. That is only the second time I have ever called him by his first name, and it's still weird. What um, do you normally yeah. call him? I usually call him Cap. Okay, so call him Cap. Well, we caught we talked about that yesterday. Did we? No, me and him. Me and him talked about that yesterday. Good and he said he and I. I could call him Joel. Can I call him Cap? Uh, it's between you and him. Can I call you Cap? You can call me whatever you want. Just don't call me late for dinner. That's oh, cool. I'll make sure you're not gonna be late for whiskey either. Yes. Yep. All right. So, Joel, yep. the floor is yours. Give us some backstory. Okay. How where how, what got you to where you are today okay so um back in the late 90s um i have an older brother 22 months older so of course everything in our life is competitive so um he tried doing the firefighting thing so back in like 96 97 um he started being a junior firefighter uh back when escambia county was all volunteer and uh, he was up at Inslee. They were one of the only ones that had a junior firefighter program. Um, came home, piqued my interest with it. And in would be July of 98, 15 years old, went and started um, going up there, learning just the trade of it. I was still playing basketball in high school and doing other stuff. So it was more or less during the off season uh, when we didn't have a lot of school is when I'd go up to the station. And, uh, you know, from there I was hooked. So um, 18 years old, was able to be a firefighter one, go through the whole IDLH, um, going into fires and everything. And, you know, started at Brent, was only there for a few months. Inslee ran a lot more calls and a lot more fires just based on their, their districts. So I went there, um, made a lieutenant there, then got hired on with 
I went through fire Academy while I was there. Um, went to city of Pensacola, um, in September 3rd of 2003. So as of, I think it was last Sunday, um, I've been a career firefighter for 20 years. Um, so while I was there, um, I had my EMT, I went through there, um, started teaching at what was then Pensacola junior college in 2005, 2006, um, was teaching there at the Academy. Uh, and then midway of course started up theirs. So most of us would teach at both, um, you know, call it what it is. It was nice to teach at a fire department based Academy where we didn't have as much educational or other restrictions on us. And we were able to be, you know, a true reflection of what we felt the fire service was. So taught there until they um, wound up closing the program. They brought a chief on board that uh, wanted to use the academy money for other things in the items of the budget to grow the department. So they shut that down and then um, stopped teaching at PSC. Uh, just some personal conflicts with the way that the program was run. And then one class later, they shut down. Um, and then Pensacola Fire Department started it. And I didn't really teach there at the time. I was doing some other things. Um, so in, uh, what would that be? June of 2009, I went through paramedic school. I started paramedic school um, at Pensacola State. Um, I got my associate's degree the year prior. And, you know, looking back, I probably should have gone through and finished my bachelor's while I had the time. Um, because it's something I'm currently working on now. And just one of those I would highly encourage guys, don't stop, just go all the way through. But um, that's for a different part of this story. So then in uh, 2010, I got my paramedic. Um, and then late 2009, October 27th of 2009, I went from the city of Pensacola to Escambia County Fire Rescue. Um, I saw, you know, not just the ALS side, but some of the growth that the county was having, some of the potential of going to, you know, different types of, of jobs and extrications and all the other stuff that they had. You know, they had the hazmat team, they had USAR team, they had a, a wide variety of uh, services that could be provided. And in doing so, I felt like that's where I wanted to grow my career. So um, I was hired there, was stationed at the Pleasant Grove Station, which is the backside of NAS Pensacola, um, working on a, a four-man company. I was the junior guy who was also the primary hazmat station at the time. So got my hazmat technician, worked part-time on the ambulance um, for lifeguard uh, through this time as a paramedic. And that'll come into play here later on. But then... Um, Started uh, getting towards the hazmat field just based on where I was and uh, the guys I was working with. Um, the cool thing is all, all of us now are, are officers and, um, you know, the lieutenant that I was working for, Lieutenant Smith, was the uh, hazmat coordinator for the department. It was also a paramedic at the time. So, you know, it was definitely a good role model for me to kind of start going down that way as a new firefighter in the department. So um, I was promoted to lieutenant in uh 2012 um i was number two on my list and uh there was i think everybody on our list wound up getting promoted based on just the growth of the department at the time we were just getting so big so quick um i moved out i had my paramedic of course and i went out to the perdido key station um there was you know uh four of us on a ladder truck and at the time they were rebuilding the station so we based out of station eight which is on interiority point road and there was really no other career companies around us at the time. We had Station 14. But if we had anything significant, I mean, we were going to be there by ourselves for a little bit until 14 could come, could come help us. 
So I was there for uh, right about two, two and a half years. Um, started doing uh, with the RIT competition with the Florida RIT Operations Group. Um, we did that uh, in Daytona, and then we started going around the country and teaching for Firehouse Magazine and a couple other things. And in that time frame, I was actually in Tennessee, and I got a phone call from our department asking if I was interested in taking over the HAZMAT program. So in, I think it was 2015, um, we took over the program, and in doing so, uh, we moved the HAZMAT station to the Warrington station to be a little bit more centralized, and then 14 and 16 would be the HAZMAT stations. So, you know, I was an ALS provider as a paramedic, and station 16 was a BLS station. So I was blessed in the fact of being able to take on, you know, being the hazmat coordinator for the region team, but I was able to, you know, still provide and go to a lot more fires and other things, just being on a more inner city urban and suburban department or station at the time. So um, got a lot of exposure, got a lot of growth. I had a, a, a an amazing senior fireman, Jason Pellicelli, and, uh, you know, I really didn't have a lot to worry about. It gave me time to work on the hazmat stuff. Give me time to help grow that part of the program, um, you know, maintain my skills working on the ambulance at the time. And then in, uh, you know, backtracking a little bit, but in June of 2014, um, Lifeguard Ambulance was bought out by another company, um, GMR, which does Lifeguard and uh, a lot of other ambulance services. And in doing so, they talked about wanting to do a helicopter program here in the region. So there was one already with Baptist Life Flight, and they were wanting to grow over in Santa Rosa County. So um, years before, what had influenced me to want to get my paramedic was wanting to fly. That was the only reason I wanted to get my paramedic. So I had worked in the ER at Baptist. I had, you know, taken a bunch of classes. I had worked with other people trying to, you know, build the resume to work on the helicopter. And in 2014, I took the written test. I had no critical care experience, nothing. I just worked on an ambulance. And as, as a firefighter. So um, went through the testing process, went through the hands-on process. And in meeting with the medical director, uh, you know, he shows me a piece of equipment. He goes, do you know how to do this? I said, nope. And he said, well, do you know how to run this ventilator? I was like, nope. He said, well, why should I hire you? And I told him, I said, well, anything that I put my mind to, I'm going to be good at. And I'd worked with him obviously several years as an EMT and as a paramedic with, uh, with that medical director. And he said, well, it sounds like, you know, it would be good to invest in you. And I was like, well, I appreciate that. And I didn't expect anything else because, again, I was going against guys that had previous experience. I was going for part-time status, you know, wanting to stay full-time with fire. And then about a month later, I got a phone call that, you know, they were wanting me to hire me as a flight paramedic and uh, as, a you know, one of the originals for that program that started there um, at Peter Prince Field in East Milton. So I, I did that until 2017. Um, the other cool thing in 2017 is I moved from, we moved the hazmat station up to uh, the Inslee station, which is the busiest company uh, in Escambia. So we had engine six, hazmat six, and then also the battalion chief ran out of there. So battalion three, which is the North End battalion chief. We had two battalions, battalion two and battalion three. So battalion two uh, was in the South end. And then we ran out of the station with battalion three. We had the hazmat stuff there. We were able to acquire a truck from, Okaloosa County, they donated to us. So we, you know, we had a lot of momentum going in and doing a great job with that. Um, and also in 2017, uh, the lifeguard helicopter was sold to UF Health at Shands down in Gainesville. 
So we had to go through the whole hiring process there again. And, you know, some of the guys I worked with did not get picked up and some did. And I was fortunately one of the guys to get picked up. And I'm not sure if people will hit stop at this recording when I say I've always been a Florida Gators fan. So it was also kind of cool to, to work for, you know, the orange and blue company. So, um, so I did all my clinicals there. I had to go down to Perry, Florida, I had to go down to Summerfield, Florida, I had to go to Gainesville itself, do all my skills and everything on my off days. So, you know, and I'll, I'll reference her throughout this, but been married to uh, my bride, Julie, since uh, 2004. And she's always been supportive of no matter which direction I wanted to go with my crazy career and time away. Um, you know, her only request has always been that when I'm home, I'm home. And, you know, making sure that, you know, the family always comes first. And, you know, uh, she's been a great support with that to make sure that um, I'm still able to follow my professional dreams of what I want to do. So in 2017, went became a uh, a Shands Care uh, paramedic and really was able to grow my skills a lot more being a hospital-based program, being an established program. Um, you know, they had their, I think they were the fourth helicopter program in the state of Florida or something like that, second or fourth. So very, very established program over 35 years, you know, in the business. So um, as a healthcare provider, I was really able to grow with that. Um, so then uh, remained as a company officer. Um, I was moved to the cantonment station based on the need for a paramedic. Again, station six was a BLS station and uh, we were short on paramedics in Escambia fire. So um, I was moved to the, to the cantonment station um, in like 2018 or 19. And I was there for about two years, um, had some pretty significant events. The other good thing is if you're going to be a, an ALS provider for a Scambia fire, in my opinion, the cantonment station is where you get to both be a fireman and a paramedic. You run a ton of extrications. You still run a lot of house fires. You run brush fires. You run, you know, all these different things, uh, you know, medical calls with significant um, outcomes and stuff. So, um, you know, all my, my years have been building up to that of being able to give that, that good care where I wasn't, you know, stressed in a stressful environment. And I felt very comfortable. Um, my senior fireman there was a guy named John Kena who had been in Cantonment for a, a long, long time. So it was very comfortable to know that he was able to uh, take care of stuff there um, without too much direction. Um, and then, uh, you know, just had a really good crew there. And, you know, although I didn't necessarily um, just like when I was at the Perdido Key Station, it's not exactly where I wanted to be, but I knew that wasn't who I was. That was just where I was. So, you know, while I was there. I just wanted to be the best you know, paramedic that I could be and be the best fire officer that I could be, empower my guys, get them where they need to be, do what they, they need to do. So I had a lot of new guys that were assigned to me and we had the time to do the training and we also um, had the capabilities. So we would go out and train, you know, I had uh, several of them assigned to me and then, you know, they'd get shipped off and then I'd get another one. And it was, it was fun to keep us on our toes and it definitely helped build the company with our capabilities. Um, but, uh, you know, as the growth went along, there were some other opportunities um, within the department um, for a training officer for the a daytime shift. So in, uh, in October of 21, um, I came off the truck, went into the training division, helped out a little bit. Uh, we had an acquired structure at the time, a commercial building, and um, was kind of shadowing uh, Craig Ammons, who was hiring, um, who'd been the training captain for several years. And uh, he was also a paramedic. He had been a flight paramedic for years, you know, working with Baptist Life Flight and stuff. So, again, more more good people to pick out to get good qualities from to become a better person myself. 
So then uh, over the Thanksgiving holidays, I went back on the rig. And then in December of 21, um, I was asked to come in and do the interim position of the training captain. As we were growing as a department, we were going to be putting also captain's positions as a dual company out on Pensacola Beach. So we would have engine 13, ladder 13, and uh, those three people on the ladder truck would be captains. So we were going to have to go through a whole promotion process. Well, then on May 12th of 2022, um, I was working overtime at Station 3, and uh, my daughter had a very significant medical issue that required her to be uh, life-flighted, or, or with Shane's care, really, down to Gainesville, and we were there for 115 days. Um, she was in the PICU uh, probably 98% of that time. Um, wound up having you know, a lot of debilitating conditions. Had to learn to walk again, to draw again, to talk again, to swallow again. You know, she went through withdrawal based on all the painful medication, pain medication she was on. Um, and, you know, when we don't know really why things work out the way they do, you know, if I would have been on, on the rig, it would have been a little bit harder for me to be off throughout that whole time. But, um, you know, for the years and years I worked on shift, you know, I believed in saving my leave for those just in cases, whether it was a holiday that I wanted to go on or if it was, you know, a family emergency I needed to be off for. And, uh, you know, for the entire um, May 12th until um, pretty much the second week in August, I was able to be off and be there with her the whole time. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a very hard time for our whole family. Um, you know, she wound up having to have eight surgeries and 15 units of blood. She was on a ventilator for probably six to seven weeks of that time. And, you know, there was a lot of roller coasters, ups and downs and makes you question your faith on a lot of things about, you know, why would God do this to a little girl? And, um, you know, the strength and resiliency that she showed and, uh, really, you know, grew me not only as, but also as a husband and a father to, you know, our other two kids made us very appreciative of them. So, uh, she was able to come home last year and, you know, she's had no long-term effects from it. Um, she's graduating high school. This, this, uh, was coming up May. And so, um, still in the office working Monday through Friday, um, growing the department. We were able to get three training lieutenants that are assigned under me and talking about coming full circle. Uh, Lieutenant Smith, who I worked for years ago is actually my, uh, a shift training lieutenant. does an amazing job with those guys. And, He's near the end of the career and just as fired up as he was at the beginning of the career of, you know, wanting to be a fireman and teach and learn and grow. And I mean, to the point where he's actually still out taking classes to better himself, too. So, um, so pretty cool career I've had so far. And I'm looking forward to, you know, the next several years. Um, I still got a little bit. And, uh, you know, during that time that Haley was down in the hospital, uh, I had uh, promotion exams. And so, you know, it was a very big struggle of whether I come back here to take them and, you know, study in bedside with her. Julie and I were doing a, a process where one of us would stay at the hospital one uh, every other night. So I would get every other night and Julie would fill in the other. So, you know, we really didn't even have that much time together. And, you know, with the machines beeping and dinging and everything, it took quite a toll on me and uh, and Julie also. And we had a little bit of lasting effects from that still that we're trying to get past. But, um, you know, that she's fully healed. It's, it's pretty cool. But so I studied for both the battalion chief test and the captain's test while we were down there. Um, thankfully, I was successful enough uh, to get promoted to captain in September of 22. 
And uh, since then, I've been the full-time training officer uh, working under Chief Robinson as our division chief. We got the three training lieutenants, which are assigned to each shift, which is also our um, safety officer. So they respond to every major incident. So uh, not only do they get to drive around and teach guys and do different things, but they also get to uh, go to every fire. So it's it's pretty cool little um, first time for those three guys to, to do that. Um, it's just a very new position as we grow. And then uh, as we also grow, there's not a lot of certified guys that we're hiring. So uh, we're really involved in our cadet program. So hiring guys off the street, putting them through EMT school and fire academy and, and putting them on the job. So um, this last year, we put 14, guys, 14 people through and uh, they all worked under me too. So needless to say, I'm a little busy at work, but you know, um, living out where I do, it's a good release to, uh, to come out and, um, you know, we have 82 animals that we take care of. And, uh, right before the podcast, I was actually worried that I was going to make it on time. The, my older two girls were out riding four wheelers and they, uh, a little baby deer got caught in one of our pastures. So this was running through the woods, trying to grab her to get her out. And, uh, apparently she's been in there all day. So hopefully she survives, but there's always something to do on the farm and, you know, we're very excited about raising chickens, turkeys, pigs, and goats. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, living the dream out here with that. So that's about, uh, that's all I've been doing for the last 20 years. So that's all I've been doing for the last 20 years. He says, wow, <laughs> very, very, very accomplished career. And, uh, Ooh, man, when you're good, you're good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, it didn't happen overnight. And, you know, the, the other part too is, um, you know, you and I, Josh, were talking about this with some leadership stuff is, you know, something probably the best person to have in my life is was my bride because she doesn't mind telling me honestly about things. And because I love her so much, I'll actually listen to her. But the idea that uh, she told me whenever I would work for bad bosses or work in bad situations or, you know, just come home and be disgruntled about, you know, not wanting to be a fireman anymore and stuff. And there's times where I looked at either going other places or other jobs. And, you know, the best advice that she ever was, you know, one day when you're in that position, you'll know what not to do. And that's something that I've really, you know, stuck with me pretty hard over the years is, you know, like you say, with my accomplishments is also the, the humbling part to know that whether I'm a formal or an informal leader, I still have a lot of responsibility to, I didn't like it when certain people did stuff. So I'm not going to teach others and, want to make them my priority and, you know, still keep everything in perspective. So, you know, keep, keep learning as I'm growing that way, as I do have the capability of uh, taking on more, not just rank, but also responsibilities. It's, it's truly uh, a test at times to um, deal with, you know, senior guys in the department that have been longer here longer than me and that graduated high school back in May and everything in between. So uh, it's definitely a, uh, <clears throat> Definitely a trying capability of leadership. So, yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that <clears throat> is still, I don't think baffles the right word, but um, it kind of irks me of instructors that say that, that this is very generational based of how you have to teach people. And I, I, I don't like that mode of thinking. Um, yeah. because you're going to have, you're going to have different people from all walks of life that are going to come sit down in your class. Like you could be doing, you could be doing a fire one class. You could be doing, um, a pumper class. You could be doing 
an instructor class. I mean, it shouldn't, it, the, the curriculum doesn't matter in my opinion. Right. So I think that if you're a well-rounded enough instructor that you should be able to roll with the punches very well with your, with your core audience, with your class. And it sounds like you're, you're pretty, you're, you're very able to do that, which is, which is good. It's unfortunately, it's a rarity in the fire service these days to find a well-rounded instructor. And it's not, that, that did not used to be the case, but it is very much the case nowadays. I think, um, maybe not so much yeah. in the Escambia County area. Cause it sounds like y'all are doing, y'all are doing great, fantastic things with training in your agency. And I, I I'm happy to hear that, but, um, that is not the case everywhere, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think I, I agree with you, man. I, I don't believe in the generational issue because I know, you know, I, I joined a fire department that had been around when I, when I first became a fireman with Pensacola fire, I had been, that department has been around since 1810. So how do you go in there as a new guy and be like, Oh, well, I see this needs changed or that needs changed. You, you, you don't, you go in and you sit down and you be quiet and you, you do what you're supposed to. You know, I had I actually worked with a guy who was a Marine in Vietnam. So how do you, you know, at 18, 20 years old, I got in there. How do you come in there? And, you know, I was that generation to him. It was, oh, well, the phones were just coming out. He's always talking or texting or whatever else. Well, we see the same thing in this this generation. It's like, I, I know guys, we hire more guys that don't know how to use a hammer than do. And that's not a bad thing. Especially when it's like, okay, well, uh, I'm having a problem with this Excel sheet that I've got to do my reports on. Well, I guarantee you I could get a better answer from one of those younger kids than I could from somebody that's you know my age or older. So it, it's all in the optimism of leadership, too, is you know what does a unique gift does everybody bring to the table and then capitalizing on those. You know, if you expect everybody to be you, this can be a very bland world. You know, just because you know how to use a hammer or a saw or power tools or whatever. I mean, that, that's a, definitely a generational thing, but you have to look at what's, what's these guys now able to do. Are they able to, you know, take videos better for us to promote our department? Could they run, you know, the camera in order for us to give better lecture presentations for, you know, stretching a hose line or hitting a hydrant or something like that? And when, when I, think, I, I think what you're getting at, too, is a lot of times with the instructors is they get very frustrated with these younger generations because – they're asking the why or, you know, um, well, let, let me, I, I don't understand why this is working this way. And it, sometimes it seems like people get mad because they don't know the answer, not that the person's asking the question. So, you know, as a well-rounded instructor, you should know the why, but then you should also be able to communicate it in different ways. Like when I taught at the fire Academy, I learned how to tie knots left-handed and right-handed because not everybody that comes through the Academy is right-handed. So if you're going to be a good instructor, then that means you need to relay to your audience, not have them forced to what your method of thinking or delivery of the instruction is. So by tying a knot left-handed, well, if somebody comes in left-handed, I'm telling him to rethink his whole way of, of doing things hands-on, you know, that's kind of a bad instructor versus, well, let me see how you do it. And let me just, uh, you know, kind of give you a direction to go with what you're comfortable with. So, yeah, that there's, Humility and adaptability are going to be your two biggest, in my opinion, you're going to be two of your biggest assets in being a training officer or being an instructor, sure. period. Because if it comes to something that I don't know, you have to be able to say, look, I do not know what you're asking me, but I'm let's, let's sit down and figure it out. Or <clears throat> I am not the expert in the room on this particular topic, but 
but Chief So-and-so is, and he's going to be here on this day to cover this topic because I, like I said, I'm not the, I'm not the one that can do it. And, uh, adaptability in my opinion, uh, and I, I need to stop saying in my opinion as much because, you know, you know, nobody really gives a shit about my opinion, but he's surprised, but okay. But what in saying that when I, when I took my first fire one class, you know, they were doing stuff to us, like being in a live fire, coming up behind us and turning our bottles off. Okay. We have beat it into your brain to never, ever snatch your, snatch your mask off of your face. Well, if you never, so now you have no air, what are you going to do? Are you going to remember your tactics or are you going to, are you going to die after your first breath because you freaked out? Well, we can't do that to people anymore. Well, Okay, let's come up with something else. Let's find a different right. way. Let's let's find something that's going to accommodate these people. We used to do bunker drills in the dark, and we can't do that anymore. Uh, okay, well, what can we do? What what can we do to get the training across? Are we ever going to be putting our we ever going to be putting our stuff on with the lights off? I mean, I hope not. But if it happens, it happens. <laughs> but yeah. it's just instead of making excuses as to why you can't do something, less. Let's shift gears a little bit and put our heads together and figure out what we can do or how we can do it, or even yeah. take a step back and find why we can't do it this way. You know, there's one of the things that I taught is that there is not a the way. There is not like this is the way. There are there are certain aspects that come up. It's like, well, this is the better way, or this might be the more effective way, but. In this situation, if this works better, then do this. But there's not a the way to do anything. There's a lot of wrong ways to do it, but there's not there's not a concrete written in stone the way to do everything. And yeah. <clears throat> there were that comes back to leadership too. Is is like you know if if I tell you what the objective is, so like you said, putting your bumper <clears throat> gear on. Well, there's you know, all sorts of ways. Yeah. There's obviously you got to put your pants on before your jacket, but how you get your pants on, uh, how fast you get them on that. That's where, like you saying, the adaptability instructor has to come through. And it's not that you're doing it my way. It's, you know, the way that I've always done it. And we're trying to do it, especially in Escambia with our acquired structures is the objective base. What is the objective, how we get there, as long as you do it safely, efficiently, and you can do it repetitively. In other words, it wasn't just a fluke that you got it right. Then does it really matter that it's not that individual's way? And most people are firefighters because of the fact that we're not doing an office job Monday through Friday where we're sitting in a cubicle and doing the same thing over and over and over again. We're not running run reports. We're not doing, you know, um, payroll. We're not doing all these things because we love the inter changeability where everything is different every call we go to we could run to the same address for a public assist lifting type call and the person be in a different position it's morning it's night they're in a good mood they're in a bad mood so like you're saying it's like it's not the fact that you can't do that anymore it's that you just can't Uh oh Uh oh what happened oh man you're good you're good He's, oh, back. he's back. He's back, everybody. He's back. Okay. <laughs> We're good. He I was, from, I was yeah. just having a thought of how well this is going, and then it was just it was just dead silence. Hey, like, oh, God. Can you not do that again? Huh? That, yeah. Don't have any more thoughts like that, because then it, it messes up. Yeah. No, I just won't think. Yeah, I was gonna happy say, thoughts, Joss. Yeah. Happy Jessa. 
Happy Josh thoughts. Happy yes. Josh thoughts. Happy Josh thoughts. Happy Josh thoughts. Happy Josh thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Say, he went from a good mood to a bad mood to no mood at all because he disappeared. <laughs> yep. But, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's like you said, it's the adaptability. It's what's the objective, and then from there, how do we get to the objective? And you know, you and I could be teaching the same topic, but we're getting to a the same conclusion, just a different way. Yes. You know, you might write the book with two pages, and I might take twenty pages. But the fact that the book's still being written—that's what should matter. Yes. And for the student's perspective, it should be well. I'm learning the two-page book, and I'm learning the twenty-page book instead of oh well, this officer said this, so I like him or. No, he made me laugh, so I like him, but this guy actually gives the message better. Well, I mean, realistically, be a sponge, man. Just absorb it all and then, you know, squeeze out what you don't need to and keep the sponge with whatever it does. So Yes, absolutely. And you know, you talked about um uh running the call, it's morning and it's night. That was one of the things that just I, I hated hearing it in class. I try not to use the word hate, but I hated hearing it in class. <clears throat> well, what are you gonna do at two o'clock in the morning? Like, well, what, what the hell does it matter what time it is? It's the same job. You should be prepared through any, any and all aspects. You know, it doesn't matter what time it is. It's, yeah. you're going to have to do it, whether it's two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon. If, if you, if you're asked to do it, then that's what you have to do. Either it's going to be really bright outside or it's going to be really dark outside. That's the only thing that matters to me. <laughs> yeah. That's that, that just, yeah. that, that drove me crazy hearing that. And, um, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll admit that I'm guilty of saying the two o'clock, but normally mine comes with statistics afterwards. Like, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, you're more likely to blah. And I think that reinforces your point, though, of, well, if you're good at two o'clock in the morning, then I really hope you're good at two o'clock in the afternoon or, or whatever the time period is. But, yeah, you know, the job's not any different. You just might have more demands during that frame. So Yes, which which is the point. But, you know, most of the time it's. There's no statistic. There's no information that follows it. There's no. There's no description of why did I specifically say two thirty seven a.m. or something like that. It's just yeah. you know you've got to you got to wake up. You got to get your you got to get things together. It's just it, no. It doesn't matter. But to me, it doesn't matter. But I understand why you say that like that. And you know you having statistical reasons of why you say it. That would have made me feel better. But you know you never got that. And I didn't anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and just like with anything, any any profession, you're going to have people that do it for the paycheck, and you have to do it, you know, people that do it for the passion. And you know, I, I think what you were exposed to at Midway, there were still, in my opinion, there was bad instructors that were there. But um, you know, just with anything, though, you can't just have the cream of the crop all the time. Um, as as I said, you know, what what Julie told me is, you know, I had a, a officer that was he'd been a captain for over 20 years, and he was an absolute horrible leader. But it's like how do you sit there and say that, oh, well, I, I, I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that because of that person. It's, it's kind of like what you're hitting is, well, I still want to be a fireman, but this is just a little hiccup that I can learn from along the way. So, you know, if you don't like the two o'clock, then when you start teaching, it's, oh, well, you know, at two o'clock, your body is the most uh, at rest. And, you know, in doing so, you can go from, you know, I'm sure we'll go down this point at some point, but you have to be physically ready because you can go from a resting heart rate of 50 to, you know, 150. And there's numerous studies say that's, you know, why one of the reasons why firefighters die. So, you know, if, if, if you're able to do it officially at two in the afternoon, then, you know, you just have to do it with less prep time at two o'clock in the morning. So, yeah. Which, um, 
I I really cannot remember at Midway anybody that I would have called a bad instructor. Um, yeah, they may have been in and around you. Um, you know, I, I think the good thing is we always supported each other, but there's definitely some some better than others, and you know, there's one or two. Just again, in my opinion, they might have been during your class, but they wore the same T-shirt as I did, and I wasn't very proud of them. But you know, that's neither here nor there. So. Yeah, I was gonna say you may not have the option to know who was a good instructor and a bad instructor because you didn't deal yeah, with that, them that's, enough that's time. For something that's not recorded for the world to hear. So yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I was gonna run down the yeah. list of names of people that I do remember from that, but let's. let's, I, let's well, I mean, the the three notable names that I remember. And still interact with from time to time uh-huh. from Midway Fire Academy is, of course, Joel, uh, Lieutenant Jim Allen, mm-hmm. and now Chief Craner of Pensacola Fire. Okay. Well, yeah. I, was just, I was just getting yeah. at the point that he has the experience with them kind of like day in, day out for X amount of time. Yeah. I don't know how long sure. you went to the academy, but obviously the, the time that you went there compared to the time he's there. He's gonna know the the nuances of. Oh no, I'm not saying that I know more. No, 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 no. I I, I take his word for it if he says that there was yeah. subpar and you know whatever. I I'm not discrediting that whatsoever. I'm saying from my experience, yeah. uh, I don't particularly remember anybody I would call a bad instructor. There were a couple that I can remember that were just kind of, yeah. they just kind of were going through the motions. It seemed like. So, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kinda, think that's a good description of it. It was, you know, I'm here for tonight. Let me do what I need to do and. You know, there's the passionate, and like I said, you have the paycheck guys. And I'm not saying there's, there's, you know, there's only maybe one or two that I would say that I really didn't necessarily like. But just like with anything or like, there's in life, there's, you know, a question of it. And kind of like Jacob saying, I think it's one of those that we saw the backside of it, maybe stuff that y'all didn't see. We saw some of the attitudes and stuff. And you know, that's just with anything in life, you know, whether it's at the gym, at the job, at wherever, um, you know, you have what what people display and then what they truly are. and you know, one of the cool things too is, you know, I taught Jim's class, Jim Allen's class, and then now, uh, you know, he's he's a, a, an amazing instructor too, and he's one of our other training lieutenants. So, um, you know, he's actually teaching this weekend, doing a apparatus operations class for us. First time he's ever taught a a, a classroom class, and uh, he's all nervous because he's more of a hands-on type guy. So, yeah, he was never in the classroom. Job. He was never in the class at Midway. I've I I remember the day that like the first day Lieutenant Allen was on the drill field at Midway was uh, our morning run after we did our morning PT. It was our morning run. And all of a sudden I hear this, this booming voice coming from behind me telling (laughs) us how much we all sucked and why we weren't running fast enough, which I was sure he was talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) Just I, and I, dude, if, if I could go back, and I know you can't, and I hate, I don't, I don't like trying to say it. Like if I knew what I knew, that's just, if I could take the knowledge and the capability that I've, I have discovered that I have and put it in that Josh's brain, oh, life would have been so much different, but yeah. Well, you, you also know. wouldn't have learned it the way you did either, you know? So yeah, you, know, well, you, you look back and see like, there's a lot of things that I did. Well, I'll tell you in my fire Academy, um, one afternoon, our instructor had us out there running wind sprints and, you know, it wasn't that I was tired. I was just, I felt like I was just getting beat down, just to get beat down. And, you know, I, I knew this instructor and I had no problems with him. You know, obviously it was just one of those that the, the question of why are we doing this? Like you said, the, we're doing this just to, just to, to do it and made no sense to me. So 
at one point I just stopped and was like, this is, you know, this is stupid. We don't need to be doing this. And uh, I just kind of walked. And, you know, I, I definitely wish I would have taken that back. Um, you know, he called me over and he's like, this is nothing more than mental conditioning. This has nothing to do with physical capability. And, you know, he kind of talked to me and he definitely mentored me. And, you know, he uh, he helped shine the light on there's a reason for things. We might not always see it, but, you know, if, if I would have known what I did then, I probably would have never said anything and I probably would never learn from it. So, yeah, for sure. But, yeah, for sure. So, and- you know, you just further established that you're not a runner and now as a strong man you know you really don't need to run so no these knees boy they they they're not going to support me trying to run nowhere my man um you just keep being a strong beautiful human i'm gonna try i don't know about the beautiful part but i'm gonna i'm gonna be strong one day um also and i don't know if you ever knew this or not but um i was uh, I've, I have a heart condition, and I had had two surgeries prior to me do, going through Midway, and shortly after I left Midway, probably probably a year, maybe a year and a half after I got uh, after I left Midway, I ended up having another surgery because of uh, some complications that we were having that I didn't know about until they were like, "Oh, hey, we need to go fix this." So it was it brought about because of the academy kind of brought it out. <laughs> Based on the stress and strain, or no, I don't think so. Um, okay. Because I, I, well, I don't was, feel bad then. So. Well, no, 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 no. Don't feel bad. It was <laughs> because I was doing everything wrong afterwards for Midway. You know, you know, after you know leaving the drill field, I was not, I wasn't refueling right, I wasn't recovering right, I wasn't doing any of that stuff that I know now to do. Um, like my nutrition was garbage. My workouts at home were garbage because I was thinking like, well, I don't need to hit it too hard before I go train at the, at the Academy, which I know now is baloney. So, uh, it's just, it's just all this information I can, I, I, if I could just plug that into his brain for just a second, but actually Lieutenant Noah is the one that caught it, um, at the Academy. Oh, wow. Uh, he got to looking at my. Um, we did our, we did our first review, and he asked me, you know, how I'm feeling and all this other kind of stuff. You know, what I got going on, and you know, blah blah blah. You know, being being the effective nurse instructor, whatever, because I didn't realize that he was a nurse at the time. Um, and I just I mentioned to him about what was going on, and he did some more research about it, and then it was a. Thursday night class and we were we were about to start running and all of a sudden class was stopped and Lieutenant Noah and I cannot remember the other guy's name. Um the real pretty one, the handsome guy. Uh what was that guy's name? Are you just call him Mr. Handsome? Mr. Handsome. We'll call him L- Lieutenant Handsome is what we'll call him. Okay. Um <laughs> I cannot remember his name, but it was th- those two that pulled me in and Lieutenant Noah sat down. And he's like, you have to trial Jeff below. I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, well, this is probably, and he just started listing off all this stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All these things that he was running down. And then he looked at my physical and I was working in Pensacola at, at the time. And I just went to some like little mook mook physical doctor's office, whatever, after work one day and they filled out all my physical stuff and they filled it out wrong. They said that I was coming in with no pre-existing conditions 
And that was not the case at all. So he called it and told me, he said, Hey, you got to get this fixed before you can come back. And oh. I called every like clinic I could think of from like Hattiesburg, Mississippi to Gainesville, Florida, just calling everybody I could find of trying to get this physical done the right way. And I, I never could get it. I never could get it. And I don't know why. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was, it was just God stepping in saying like, Hey, this isn't the right time for you, or this is not what I want you to be doing right now. Because, um, Florida standard is after you miss X amount of time, they drop you from the program. Yeah. So, 10% of the class. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what happened. So that's why, that's why I left midway. Uh, it's not because I quit. It wasn't any of that stuff. I was going to gut through it or die or whatever, but, um, yeah, that was why I ended up having to leave the Academy. Hmm. Well, you know, if you never would have gone through the academy, you know, just again being the eternal optimist I am, the the idea of when would you have found it, you know, might have been in a worse condition, you know, when you were driving, you know, when you were in the gym or something like that. So, you know, it's it's you know, just like I've learned with Haley, is even though in her situation, even though it seemed like there was bad stuff, you know, like you said, now you know how to deal with it and, you know, help somebody else through the academy if they decide, hey, then she go through an academy and yeah this is how you prepare for it and everything else. So, you know, it's always a learning situation. You just have to be open to the lesson. So. Absolutely. And I have tried to impart as much knowledge as I could on to others about my experience there. Um, and just try to just, just trying to be better. You know, I really, really like, as I'm sure you do Jocko's um, Jocko's motto. And I believe Cameron Haynes is the one that said this also being 1% better every day. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I, I really, really like that. And I grasped that pretty hard, uh, a few years ago. So that's been, uh, that's been just my mode of thinking is just take it in stride. My dad really, really helped me realize at a very early age that just because you got something bad going on, somebody's got it worse. So oh, sure. take sure. it in stride. Yeah. You know, that's something that, and I know you're kind of going down this route to the when Haley was in the hospital and it seemed like, you know, nothing could get better and everything else. And she would get defeated is that same idea of, you know, the only thing you control is your attitude. And, you know, if you take one step today, good. If you take one more step tomorrow, then that means you're, you know, that much better. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head with the idea that, um, you know, you can only, you only aim at what, or you can only hit at what you shoot at. And if, you know, you're, you're constantly, well, I'm not going to be able to do this or, you know, that's too far outside of my goal or this or that. You'll, you'll never get there. And that's a great perspective to have, of, you know, the um, 1% each day instead of, you know, it's like we would tell her over and over again, and she probably got tired of hearing it. You know, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. So, you know, 1% at a time makes you overall. And there's a guy named Rob Fisher from up in the Northwest and he would say, five pounds of pressure a hundred percent of the time, you know, you don't recognize that five pounds, but after a while that five pounds gets lighter. So you had another five pounds and, you know, you know, this from the, from the gym world, it's after a while you're like, well, how did I get this strong? And you look back and be like, Oh, cause I took 1% each day. So you know, that's a great idea to, a great perspective to have Josh. I try. I, I really do. I appreciate it. Um, I'm just, I have gotten, very, very fortunate, or I've, I've been very, very fortunate and very lucky that I am surrounded by some of the best people in the world. Um, 
in the strength community and just in you know in life in general. You know, starting with Jake. You know, Jake has been Jake has been one of the best people I could have around for anything and everything. So it's just there's I, I've I'm to the point now in my life where you know negativity does not hold hold space in people mm-hmm. with me. So, you know, you've got a lot of people in the strongman community that I'm around um, on a regular basis that are just that are just top notch. They're world class guys. They're helpful. They're they're inspirational. The teacher, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call them. They're just good people. And I'm very fortunate that I'm around good people. So yeah, it's definitely uh, you know what what little experience I have seeing seeing them and you know some of the stuff that you see on TV. It's like they're all encouraging each other to keep pushing that bar. And you know if you're not around somebody that's making you better, then you know what's the purpose of being around them? And you know just like that. Uh, who is it? Uh, Brian Shaw and um, what's his name? Eddie uh, Hall. Eddie Hall. Their little bromance that they got going on is pretty funny to watch. You know, guys with completely different backgrounds. You know, Eddie's six three and Brian's like six eight and just the, the the little rivalry, but the constant push to make each other better is you know, it's it's definitely good to see that instead of, you know, drawing that line in between and you know, having guys like you to talk to and bounce things off or, you know, when you send me a question or, you know, Jim Allen or whoever else, we have this ability to, you know, if we're if you if you if you constantly have people making you sharper than the old sword you know, that's what the old perspective is. And, you know, I'm glad that we have guys like you that have come into our lives years ago and stayed in there to, you know, keep us, uh, keep us going too, you know, I try, man. Uh, I really do. Um, I, what was I about to say? I just, I just had something at the tip of my tongue. Um, but I did see, I did see Jim Allen, uh, several weeks ago. Uh, it was one of the days I was at the Powell Fox market and uh, he come walking by as we were closing up, packing up, and I saw him, and he saw me, and he was like, "Whoa!" I was like, "Whoa!" I haven't seen, literally haven't seen him since Midway, uh, yeah. and you know, one of the it made me feel really good because he came up and shook my hand. Because we're friends on Facebook, he shook my hand and slapped me on the shoulder. He said, "Bro, you're an inspiration to me and my guys," and I was like, "What? What? <laughs> I am? No, yeah. man. I'm just." I, he said, "No, dude, you you're the man." I was like, oh, I, "I was." I I don't know what to say right now, Jim. I just yeah. <laughs> it was it was yeah. good to hear. So, yeah. and it's, it's it's you never know who you're inspiring, man. It's like you know I get ribbed at for you know posting my workouts on Facebook and stuff, and you know it's 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 it is what it is. I don't I don't really look for uh you know people's validation. Of, yeah. You know oh well that's a good workout or oh you know why are you putting this on there and things like that. It's like if. if you know, this is something that I, I I read at the beginning of the year. One of I forget which book it was, but um, it was saying that you know one of the hardest parts of leadership is planting the seed, and never getting to see the fruit. So you know when you're out there posting those workouts, or you know putting something, hey, you know my kid taught me this today, or you know I read this book today, or here's this podcast, or whatever the case is. You know, you never know where that's going to pick up. But that's definitely one of the most beautiful things about social media is by having such a wide perspective from, you know, a, a, a guy that was a fireman that does strong man to, you know, you got the, the Jim Allen who's, you know, just wide sprung hundred percent all the time. And, you know, you get everything in between and you got friends that are not firefighters and you got guys that are police officers and everything. So that, that, that wide variety is where you can just pick those little nuggets from that, 
you know, they might not realize they're planting the seed and, you know, seeing, you know, you've, you've sent me comments before, Hey, that's a good workout. Appreciate you posting. And it's like, you know, if I just get one of those comments, I'll keep going. I, I'll, I'll take the, you know, Hey, what's the wad today and all this other stuff, just, you know, poking fun. And just, a lot of it's just being, you know, being brothers or whatever, but you know, there's the, you, you never know who you're going to inspire. And, and I will say that, you know, the stuff that you put on there, Josh, of putting yourself out there of, you know, Hey, I didn't do that well at this week's competition is like, Oh, well, he trains hard and he didn't do well, but he's keeping that positive attitude. Yeah. I'll keep my positive attitude. So never know who yeah. you can inspire, brother. I, yeah. I appreciate that. That's one of the things I remember what I was going to say. I know you looked at me when I said, I forgot. And you're just kind of like, Oh, shocker. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, what am I going to say? And my brain went towards Toledo. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Wonder what time it is there. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, I remember what I was going to say is that this is one of the reasons why I'm so drawn to the strongman community is how many sports do you see competitors cheer for competitors? You yeah. don't, you do not. And that is one of the great things about this sport is you'll see guys different. It may be a different weight class. There may be guys in your class that you're competing against yelling at you to do better cheering you on like um dakota uh who's one of the guys in my was my weight class for alabama we we're at deadlifts i stopped at three for a couple of reasons and he's standing there screaming in my face why are you stopping i'm coming behind you i want to have to work i want to i this is how many i want you to get so i can see if i can beat you you know he's and i was just kind of like i was like wow and in the back of my mind i'm thinking ah. <laughs> um I don't know. It's pretty I, spicy at that one. Oh, yeah. It was real spicy. It's that third rep, my back was like, hey, bro, but you set this down and not do this anymore. I'm like, okay, cool. That's fine. And this, you know, he's there. And here comes Fox. You can you can hear Fox coming around the corner. This His booming army drill sergeant voice mm. of, you know, like, why the fuck are you stopping? And I was like, because it hurts so bad. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I, I'm, like I said, I'm so fortunate to be around the people that I'm around. And that's one of the reasons, like you say, of why I post my workouts. One of the reasons why I do is because I kept getting spammed on my feed with just so much negative crap and, you know, Trump did this or Biden did this or Obama this or just, or, you know, I I can't stand this group or I can't stand this group. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to spam as many people as I can with something other than that. That's why I started posting my workouts. And then, you know, I'll get people that reach out to me. It's like, hey, how do I do this? Why can't I do this? Blah, 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 blah. And it's gotten to be where I can, I'm starting to coach people now. And, you know, it's it's just kind of grown into this thing. You know, and all the, a bunch of the guys around in different places all over, you know, we've been doing that push-up thing, which is, you know, I was, I was tagging you in that, hoping you would jump in the game on that one. Um, <laughs> so we may, I may kick that off again. What are you laughing at? him because he was like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I don't, it's I, I i've been tagged on a couple of those with different workouts and stuff and i'm like you know i'm, I'm all about helping raise awareness and doing other stuff and doing push-ups but uh the other day i was doing something and my son challenged me he's like can you do a push-up with me on your back i was like yeah absolutely so he jumps on my back and i start doing and he's like all right do 10 so i do 10 he's like do 15 i was like all right buddy <laughs> this is uh this is cool and all and i'm glad that i'm your hero but even heroes know when they got a <laughs> they're popped out like you said you, yeah. you did three and they're like uh yeah yeah we're good with three 
I did 10. I was like, you know, I'm still his superhero. So we'll, we'll stop at this before I collapse and then ruin all hope of what he thinks of me. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. But man, I just, it's, it's so great. And if, if I've commented on one of your workouts, I have done that workout and I've got a few of them saved in my phone. One of them was, uh, one of them was one I did at tra- at the track one night. It was it was burpees, it was push ups, it was jumping jacks, it was lunges, and then it was a run. And mm-hmm. uh, I well, no, I did burpees because I didn't have uh, I didn't have stairs to run. This I think that's what that was. And I, I was I was I was crawling to my car after that one, but I wanted to seem like the macho man. You know, I was like, eh, wasn't bad. I'd do it again. Yeah. Thinking in my mind is like, I don't know if I can open a water bottle right now. So yeah, there's, there's been times too, where like I'll videotape myself doing it. And like, you don't see the unedited version. You see the edited version. And I know <laughs> like, I'm sure you do it too when you're doing your training, but there's a certain point where during that workout, I normally don't video myself until like round two, three or four. That yeah. way it almost makes me have to do it. So if I'm like, I'm going to do four rounds of this, well, come round three, I'm like, I really don't want to do this. So I'll put myself on the spot, set up the video camera, and it's like, all right, you don't get to take a break. They don't get to see you pause. So, you know, that's just the way that I have to kind of mentally overcome myself is uh, record myself later into it. That way, you know, my accountability then is that camera that's watching me. So, yeah, same. Usually the the video that is posted um, is it is sometimes it will be the first set just because I want to see that form and make sure, sure I can keep sure. that form. But most of the time it is the the last set of that particular movement. So uh, I'm with you there. That is definitely an accountability tool I use as well. I'm glad I'm not the only guy that <laughs> does that. Then that makes me actually feel better that uh you know I'm not cheating or whatever because yeah it's it's definitely you know round four or five and you're like oh well you know you worked really hard you deserve to only do four and then i put that camera up there or you know the kids will come by or something else and be like no 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 i'm not tired we're good we're good you know yeah no that's not cheating at all that i i don't see that as cheating that's (laughs) that's just another form of accountability to me because um my workouts are tracked by my coach so Mm -hmm. whatever input i put into my workout he sees that and either Either I'm putting in everything that I did, I'm putting in uh, as much as I could do, or I'm a lie and say, <laughs> oh, yeah, I did all that, and then it's going to come time to where I've got to prove it, and I haven't actually mm-hmm. done the work. I've just said I've done the work to make my coach feel better or what I would think make my coach feel better, which probably doesn't, which shout out Josh Fox if you're listening. I love you. Uh, and no, I don't do that. Uh, if I do it, I, I document it. If I don't do it, I document why I can't do it. So there's that. That's that's just accountability to me, and I'm I don't think that's cheating at all. Yeah, and I also like to like there'd be times I'm laying in bed and you just posted your workout where even though you're busy and doing stuff, you still would take the time. And then those uh, famous or infamous, you know, ice bath pictures where you would take the picture of baths. you know, giving the old. Uh, single bicep curl and, mm. um, you know, Hey, had a good workout. Hey, had a bad workout, you know, for guys, you know, like me that are busy and stuff like that, we see that and be like, Hey, you know, if he's still putting it out there. That definitely pushes us to go, okay, well he's doing it at the end of his work day. You know, I, I could do something maybe tomorrow morning and stuff. So, you know, keep that up too. Yeah. I miss ice baths. I wish I could, I need to get back into that, that cycle. 
I miss him so much. Yeah, my ice bath got taken over by some baby chicks. So <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we have some chickens and some little baby chickens in my uh, my ice bath. So you know, um, that's a, that's okay. Especially in the 115 degree temperature, those ice baths were nice. So oh man, I was going to say there's one thing he doesn't post at the end of his day though. What's that? Whenever you get on the little foam roller and you just start yelling. You know, I probably should record that once or twice just to put that out there. There's been times I'm just I'm just chilling out in my house. The next thing I hear is, yeah! And I was like, who died and why? And then I come here and Josh is just laying on the floor. I'm like, hey, man, you good? No. Yeah, no. It's, I, <laughs> I, I should record that just, to, just so everybody sees me on the floor like a beached whale. <laughs> Dude, there's there's been some interesting moments at eleven thirty at night. I'm just hearing someone scream. I, I try to keep it down, but you know, if just some days just getting down to the floor to do that is a chore. And and sometimes I wish that you had carpet so I could just kind of just onto the floor. There is carpet in your room. Yeah, but I don't have room to roll out in my in my room. Next time, Jacob, just go in there and throw a pillow and blanket on him. Leave him there. He'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, like I won't. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sleeping on sleeping on a hardwood floor might not be bad once or twice a week. I've done it plenty of times. Yeah. I fall I can fall asleep faster on concrete than I can in my bed. That's not good. Sorry, it's it's proven. I proved it to myself. Well, on that note. Hmm. On that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> what's uh what's new with uh with you, Cap, I um, I apologize. I didn't pull it up fast enough on what your farm's Instagram name is. I was trying to find it real quick, but I did not. Yeah. Uh, if you want to plug so that, because uh, I've been enjoying watching that. Well, thank you. Um, so I'm probably getting away from uh, my personal stuff. Like you said, it's just, you know, there's things I can control. And, you know, if, if there's kind of the homestead movements is, is kind of coming up a little bit more and people are realizing the, you know, some self-sustainability and stuff. So, you know, my, uh, our farm name, it was Richardson ranch. Um, you know, we had that for a long time and, you know, we check in and all that stuff, but, uh, we're, we're wanting to grow a little bit of the, the brand of the farm concept. And, uh, so the, the Instagram page is Foxwood farms. Um, unbeknownst to me, there's a trailer park in Ocala that's also called Foxwood Farm. So, um, I'm competing with them, <laughs> but, uh, but no, we just, you know, pictures and videos of the farm and, you know, encouraging people to, you know, take on the aspect that you don't have to have a bunch of property or a bunch of things, not even a bunch of experience is another good thing about social media, but, you know, we, uh, we're trying to grow the brand a little bit too, like, uh. Our chickens are almost getting to the point of full production. We just got a couple more. As soon as they hit, we'll be getting, you know, tons of eggs every week and uh, trying, you know, you'll never make money on it, but you can definitely find your happiness in it. And, you know, my, my wife has a stress fracture in her foot right now. So every morning at 5.15, I'm out taking care of the animals. She normally does because she has a little bit more time in the morning. So, you know, I go out and pin every morning now, 5.15 with a head, little headlamp on and, um, it's nice to see those. It's a great way to start the day. You know, you definitely get the sense of responsibility. You see other animals and, you know, like who thought I would be chasing a little baby fawn through a, a pasture and uh, trying to get it back with its mama. So, you know, all sorts of cool experiences out here on the farm. And, um, 
you know, we've got the goats that we're breeding. My daughters, uh, my younger daughters wanting to do, um, she's done 4-H and my son has done 4-H with showing goats. And um, we're moving on possibly to the cow world for her FFA. Oh. So, um, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see about that one. That one's definitely more expensive. So, but, uh, you know, we've, um, yeah, just, just growing on that aspect of it with Foxwood Farms. And the funny story about that is uh, back in July of 2020, um, Julie and I were actually out putting up fencing for one of the pastures. And uh, I was uh, attacked and bitten by a uh, rabies positive fox. So oh, uh, got a pretty cool little tattoo on my back, on my back shoulder. You know, always watch your back. So <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of where the name came from a little bit was Foxwood Farms. We're wanting to kind of see where we went with it. We still have foxes out on the property. We, uh, we live on 21 acres and um, most of it's wooded. We work probably about five or six of them, uh, the acreage. and. Uh, but yeah, so out putting up fencing, um, we were using the T post with the uh, the field fence type material. We already done done the T post. We're just putting up the fencing and you know using the the come alongs to uh, stretch the fence in order to tie it to the T post. So um, we have a gray cat, and uh, his name was Zeno, and he's just a you know old barn cat. So. Um, down the trail comes this gray looking animal. So I had my back to it and Julie is on the inside of the fence, which would be the inside of the pen. And actually, you know, some of these weird things that they work out the way they did. Um, so coming down the trail and Julie goes, Oh, look at Zeno. And I looked over and I was like, nothing's got a pretty fluffy tail for being Zeno. And uh, sure enough, it was a Fox. And I was like, Oh cool. It's a Fox. So we only have two rules on the farm. It's we only, or for, when it comes to animals, we only, um, kill them if we're going to eat them or if they're going to do us harm. So, you know, we've killed three rattlesnakes on the farm because, you know, there's just, they don't really provide very good <laughs> beans for us. Um, but there's other stuff like little black racers. Uh, they're too small to eat the eggs, so we leave them around. So um, I stepped back out of the way, put my back to the fence. The fox is coming down the trail. And then probably about four or five feet away from me, it jumps at me. So I, you know, decided to kick it. So I kicked it down the other way of the trail and whenever it landed, it came after me again. So I kicked it with my other foot and uh, sent it down the trail. Well, then at that point I was like, something's not right. This thing's attacking me versus, you know, just getting startled by me. So um, it jumped at me. Um, I pinned it down to the ground with my left hand and pinned it down with its chest. And uh, I didn't get high enough on the neck, so it turned around and then latched onto my forearm, and it just bit and just held on. So I stood up, and it's still hanging on there. So I grabbed it by you know the scruff of it on its neck and snatched it off of there. And I've got this you know four, five pound, six pound fox that's as long as my arm, and then the tail is just as long as the body hanging off. And Julie's just freaking out because you know I just got in a wrestling match with a fox. And uh, so we go walking down the trail and I'm holding it and it's, you know, sitting there trying to do that little kick thing to reach around and bite me again. And I'm putting it in a rubber band container here at the house. And, um, you know, I put a medicine ball. Thankfully, I had one. I put a 20 pound medicine ball on top of it in order to keep it from getting out. And of course, we're worried about the kids were over at my in-laws house next door. And so I was like, well, I'm going to have to go to the hospital. And, you know, always heard horror stories growing up about rabies shots and everything. And um, 
So the other fun part was, like I said, it was July of 2020. So COVID had just kicked off. Mm. So of all the things to catch during COVID, I caught rabies. So, uh, yeah. So we called FWC and he was right around the corner. You know, I jumped in the shower real quick, just rinsed off and then head up to Santa Rosa hospital. And I'm in there and there's a guy sitting next to me. I remember, you know, very clear. He's sitting next to me. He's got a mask on, you know, the guys on the, the receptionist, they got masks on. I come in, I put a mask on. I've got a little bandage on my arm. And uh, they're like, so uh, what brings you in today? I was like, I was bitten by a fox. And the guy next to me kind of leans back and he looks over and he's like, you what? It's like, I got bit by a fox. So he's like, really? I was like, yeah. So FWC comes up to the hospital and they're like, hey, tell us what happened. And I tell them everything. Well, then I didn't know it, but animal control then comes up and takes a report. So the FWC officer, the Florida Wildlife Commission, he, he takes an audio recording and the reason why I said it was my left hand is, um, you know, I'm left-handed also with my writing. So then he's like, okay, well, I know we just videotaped and audioed your, your statement, but I'm going to need you to write everything down. And I'm like, dude, I'm left-handed. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? He's like, you know, just shorthanded or whatever. So to, you know, to, to my credit, you know, not to brag or anything, but he's the first one that ever told me that, you know, I was attacked by a fox and I caught it. Most people are attacked and it runs away. So this was on like a Friday. So it was July 3rd, the day before July 4th. July 4th was a Saturday. So they sent the animal off to be tested. Sure enough, came back, raised beast positive. I had to get uh, 14 total shots, eight of them in my arm, and then the rest of them in the uh, the, the buttocks. And uh, yeah, then I had to get the whole series of rabies shots after that. So, um, you know, Jewel and I were walking out in the woods. He found that the FWC officer was able to find the the fox den later on and actually have a deer stand there now. And we call it the fox den. So <laughs> hmm. um, I've killed, actually killed some deer down there before. But um, so he was like, you know, put a trap out. If you catch another one, you know, if they're rabid, they'll be going after, you know, different things. And of course, we're worried about the goats. And uh, at the time we had the, the goats and the dogs and the cats. So we're worried about you know, rabies spreading. And of course they sent out the County alert that, you know, somebody in Santa Rosa County had, uh, you know, a positive rabies, positive animal bite, all this and that. So, um, yeah. So then several weeks later, we're out there, we've got one of those little, you know, critter traps with the slapping door, you know, yeah. uh, where they eat the bait and then the door closed behind them. Yeah. Well, we're going out there and usually I carry some sort of protection when I'm out in the woods. And that day that I was out there with Julie putting up the fencing, we were close enough to the house. I didn't have anything on me. Well, uh, that day we're walking out there and we go down one of the trails down by the fox den. We set up the trap, put the bait in it, um, and we're just trying to catch it to see if there's another rabid fox. But we make the left turn on the trail to come back towards the house. And sure enough, probably about 50 yards away is a fox. And it's standing there looking at us. And, uh, you know, Julie and I go into full PTSD mode and you know, <laughs> I've only got a pistol and I'm like, I'm not hitting that from all the way over here. And so we just kind of stood there and we had a little stare down and then uh, it was most likely a female, but she turned around and just walked off and, you know, just one of those that she wasn't messed with me. I wasn't going to mess with her. And so I am up to date on my rabies. So we're good to go on that. Well, that's good. It all worked out great. You had one of those. Yeah. As one of those, so there I was. So there I yeah. was. I was in a wrestling of fox. Oh, that this yeah. is a great, this is the right way to say it. Wrestling, 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 wrestling. How you spell that? Rats. 
Lynn. Yes. Don't, yeah. Don't forget the don't forget the apostrophe at the end to, for emphasis on wrestling. So. Yes. Wrestling. Yeah. It's seven A's and four N's. Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's what we have on the farm. I mean, we have you know uh, we're we back up next to Blackwater Forest, so uh, it's just down the road. So we have you know we have the deer, we had hogs at one point, some feral hogs. Um, we have you know tortoises, we have all different kinds of snakes. Um, so it's pretty cool that the kids get to grow up in this, the, uh, the area. Um, you know, they also get to learn a lot with not just animal husbandry, but, you know, responsibility, you know, my older girls take turns going in, uh, feeding or giving all the animals water throughout the day, you know, especially when it was hot and stuff. And then, you know, being able to build the chicken coops and the turkey coops and putting up fencing and all that, they get out there and help out. So, you know, teaching them to have a good work ethic and stuff and, so uh, my oldest daughter's looking for a job right now. She's actually listing Foxwood Farms as part of her job experience. <laughs> so as she you know, should, uh, if it helps out with the resume, yeah. So she puts, you know, cleaning and take care of animals. Um, you know, cleaning out pens and stuff. I was like, you know, if I was a boss looking at the resume, I'd be like, okay, well, she knows how to clean. She knows what responsibility is. So, you know, she put it down there. She's like, well, do I list you as my supervisor? I was like, yep, I'm your supervisor on the farm. So that's right. I say she knows how to keep things alive. So that's good. That's very important. Yeah. (laughs) Very, very necessary out on a farm. (laughs) So, but yeah. So, and I mean, you know, the, the good and the bad of it is they, they, they learn that, you know, they get to see things born, but they also have to see things die. And, you know, that's, that's one of those uh, experiences in life that makes you definitely appreciative of more things. Um, Like I said, they were out riding four wheelers, so they have plenty of space to do that. But, you know, they don't get to ride just because it's the, you know, they've done what they're supposed to and, you know, um, get the grades they should and everything else. So, you know, I've got a great partner and my wife that we make sure that we pretty much 99% agree on how we raise our kids. And in doing so, we feel like we're giving them life lessons on, you know, how to be better people and citizens and providers and everything else. So, yeah, that is, uh, <clears throat> I, I enjoyed it when, um, my cousin lived on uh on my property out there with his kids and my kids were out there and you know his uh, his wife and my um i guess uh, ex-wife we'll say uh they went kind of crazy with birds kind of an understatement dude. yeah well i mean we had ducks we had chickens we had banny roosters we had many chickens we had geese they had quail. They had pheasants. I mean, there was over 100 birds living on this property. Dude, it felt like you had 47 birds in a 30 by 30 pen. Yeah, what, that was, that? what does that mean? Or a little doodle thing. But anyway, um, oh, it was it was great for my kids to be uh, exposed to that. You know, we we processed a hog um, that we got. And they got to see they got to see all of that. You know, they got to they I don't think they were there when we, you know, um neutralized the hog, but they were there right. when we when we strung it up, when we skinned it, you know, we were you know, this may sound gross or, you know, gory or whatever, but this is just what we did. This was a life experience that they were having, you know, pulling organs out, you know, this is this organ, you know, this is the heart, this is what yeah. it does, you know, this is the liver, this is the intestines and all that. Look at the Pulling, you know, as we were skinning it, it's like feel how tough this skin is, how high, how how hard the hide is, and you know how much fat they have. Like this was a very healthy hog; he had very good fat between his 
between his layers of skin. So, you know, just went through all of that. And my kids and his kids just sucked it up. They thought it was the coolest thing ever. It makes me happy to hear that there are other people out there that are exposing young children to that and that they actually get to see that instead of just them growing up without having, not having a clue how, um, you know, most people get their food. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's definitely, you know, like I've processed the deer that we've killed on the property and my son came out there and like you said, here's the lungs. This is why they're red, you know, different things like that. There's so many applications that you can give them with that. And, you know, we've had little baby goats die. We've had chickens die. We've had these other things. And it's like, you know, we do everything we can and, you know, the rest is up to God really. And, you know, that's, he, he, we're given, you know, the responsibility of taking care of the animals, but understanding that there's certain things that, you know, it's just going to be beyond our help. And they need to learn that as a life lesson too, of you do the best you can, but at a certain point, some things are just outside of your hands. And, you know, that's that's definitely a, a good thing for that lesson. And Julie and I were talking the other day about, you know, a lot of this emphasis on the homesteading and self-sufficiency and some other things, you know, we, uh, we build, you know, buy and spend four to $5,000 worth of stuff to save, you know, $6 on a dozen eggs. But yeah, um, other life lessons too is, you know, at the dinner table several weeks ago, or several months ago, they were, the kids were asking, well, could we ever get this animal? Can we get this animal? And, you know, one of the ones that brought up was uh, pigs. So I was like, no, we're, we're not getting pigs. They're dirty. They're this, they're that, everything else. Literally a week later, uh, one of my brother's friends who he's a deputy with the San, with the Scammy County, uh, he said, Hey, uh, Lieutenant so-and-so is getting rid of some hogs. Do you want them? So I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind, of course, as the dad is, I just got done telling my kids last week that we will never do this. <laughs> and, uh, Surprise. That, you know, I, I beat my words, but the way I told them, I was like, you know, six hogs is, you know, more than six meals. It's, you know, the ability to have, you know, whatever we wanted with it, um, you know, whether we wanted to keep them a little bit, breed them a little bit, whatever the case is. And, you know, uh, so they, they, they continuously keep me humble by reminding me too that, you know, never, ne- never say never and never say always. So, yeah, for sure. Um, we, um, we tried to, we tried our best doing as, you know, different kind of animals. And it just, it got a little overwhelming because there wasn't, there was never like a, like a, uh, well, we probably just need to hold off of what we have and make sure what we have is going to make it. It was just, uh, oh, well, we went, we were going to go and do this, but we went by and got more birds. And it's just more birds, more birds, more birds, more birds. And it's just, it's, it, it got out of hand. But, Again, yeah. it was it was a good experience for that, you know, because we would have, especially on a day that was cold, and we'd go out and we'd find a chicken dead or whatever, something like that. And I was like, okay, well, it's been forty degrees out here all night. I would be willing to bet that this chicken is safe to eat. So yeah. let's uh, let's process this chicken. Come on, kids, let's show you how to defeather a bird. That kind yeah. of thing. So yeah, we plan I, on I'm a fan. processing some of our meat birds in the fall. And uh, the same concept is, you know, they're going to jump in on it, whether that's, you know, hold the bag while I put them in or, you know, go change out the water or whatever. It's, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head with it. It's like they need to know where the food comes from. And if it's just, oh, I just go to the store. Well, not to go down the rabbit hole, but, you know, nine meals from the apocalypse where it's like, if you're not able to provide food for your family, 
then there's a certain aspect of you're willing to do things uh, to provide them. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, the chaos that comes along with it. And, you know, I don't plan on ever being self-sustained, but one of the, uh, one of the things that Julie and I talked about too, is, you know, this year we're focusing on animals. You have some of the guys that go full blown into, let's go into the whole homesteading. Let's do the garden. Let's do this. And let's do that. Let's do this. It's like, let's just keep these things alive before talking about plants and other things, you know, the regenerative process. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely neat. And, you know, again, things work out the way they do. If I was working a 48 hour shift at work, we just recently moved to 4896s. And if I was gone for two days, um, it just one of those, the way that works out. My house got struck by lightning when I was at work. My daughter had to get stitches when I was at work, but guaranteed something would happen when I was at work. So, you know, being home every night and weekend definitely has its benefits on that side of, you know, being, being here in case something happens, it can get handled that day. And, you know, keep the stress off of the the family from me being gone so long. So, yeah, um, for sure. Um, one of the things, if, uh, if, if you don't mind shifting gears a little bit, and if, uh, if I may, I would like to pick your brain a little bit. This is something that we harp here a lot, um, both on and off mic, just the, the conversations that we're definitely not afraid to have. And with you having a 20 year career, uh, I would love to hear your perspective on this. Um, what helps you with your mental health? Because you seem you seem very positive. You seem you, you obviously you have a realist approach to life, which I can agree with. I I, I very much so have the same approach. But um, I just I, I just if you if you don't mind, if you would be willing to have that discussion of what. What is it that helps you with your mental health? Because my mental health at its worst is one of the main catalysts of why I left the fire service when I did. Yeah. So, um, you know, with, with my mental health wasn't always, uh, as I wouldn't say treatable, but I think, I, I think, you know what I'm talking about by it of, I would recognize it, but I didn't feel like there was anything I could do about it. Absolutely. And, yeah. So, um, it, and it really happens to everybody, both, you know, in and not in the first responder world, but I think we may be exposed to a little bit more because of, you know, the emotions and the, um, the stressors and everything that come along with it, even just something simple as lack of sleep and how that can put you down a rabbit hole. So, you know, years ago, um, when Julie and I first got married, we were trying to have kids and we were having some, some pregnancy issues and, I had ran a call when I was at work where they had a, uh, a SIDS baby. So little, I think it was four months old, little baby wasn't, uh, you know, mom put it down for a nap after having a bottle, um, baby aspirated and unfortunately, uh, passed away. Well, we had been trying to have kids for a while and, you know, I knew that talking to that with Julie probably wasn't the best idea for us. And I've told the story to some other, you know, some other people with it, but it, it really makes sense. So I held it in, held it in, held it in. Well, right before we found out we were pregnant with Haley, um, I had to get my wisdom teeth cut out of the, my mouth. I had to get four of them cut out. Well, when you talk about, especially the, the mental health of sometimes you pack it away, but then that closet gets full and whether you want it to be unpacked or not, it's going to. So I was sedated for it and, you know, they put me under the gas and everything like that. Well, while I was under, 
um, apparently, and I, I, I think I know what I was dreaming, but it had to do with that little baby. I saw its face. I saw everything that was going on. And the I remember waking up in the middle of the procedure with the oral surgeon sitting on my chest, shaking me, saying, breathe, breathe, breathe. And I sat up and I'm you know freaking out. And then I go right back out. Well, in the post recovery, I was sitting there and, you know, Julie was in the room and the dentist is there or the oral surgeon. He's like, um, you know, during the procedure, you know, he went to, you know, respiratory arrest and this and that. And you could tell that something was bothering him. He was having bad dreams. And she asked him or he asked her, he said, you know, what does he do for a living? And she's like, oh, well, he's a fireman. And he goes, well, you know, has he had any bad calls lately? Has he had, you know, anything that's, you know, he's talked to you about and this and that. And I knew exactly what he was referring to. She's like, no, no, I really haven't. No, he doesn't really talk about that. You know, he, he loves his job, this, that, this, that. Well, you know, I'm sitting there in uh, post recovery, so my brain's working, but the rest of me's not. So when I got done that day, um, one of my good friends was actually Brock Jester. He's the deputy chief of Pensacola Fire. Um, I was working with him at the time, and he was the one that performed CPR on the baby. And I had a very, very serious talk with him of, you know, he had, of course, been a fireman for 10, 15 years at the time. I was like, how, how do you deal with this, man? How do you, you do this? And he's like, you have to talk about it. And this is back before, you know, we have things like Second Alarm Project and we have, you know, peer support teams and stuff. And he's like, you have to talk about it. He's like, his wife's name's Victoria. He's like, I'll talk to Vic about it. And it's not necessarily for her to have sympathy or empathy or, you know, be privy to the knowledge where she feels bad. But it's more or less to get it off my chest. That way it does become unpacked. And, uh, you know, after that day, you know, I told Julie about what the call was. And I said, this is why the oral surgeon said that I had this issue and everything else. And she's like, well, it makes sense. And I was like, you know, I was doing it thinking I was protecting her from having bad thoughts about, you know, a little baby. And it really was being stowed away in the back of my mind of, you know, those, those thoughts that come and go whenever you don't necessarily have the time. So, um, you know, that, that was, you know, probably 2004, 2005. And, uh, you know, we had Haley in 2006. So there was times where to have, you know, the ups and the downs and the, the, the positives and the negatives. And, you know, you have to have, and I know it's easier said than done, but you have to understand the balance of life and the, the real thing. If there's something good happening, there's probably going to be something bad. You know, if you get good news, there's, there has to be a, an ebb and flow. There has to be a, a, you know, a pro and a con. And, if you know that the con is coming, just in my experience, if you know that it's coming, then when it hits, you know that that's what it is. And you know, okay, well, this is, you know, I've had my good and I've had my bad. This is okay. I can get through this. Um, you know, with me personally, I know that I have to go to a gym at some point. Um, putting your body, and you, you guys know this from the gym side too, is like putting your body under stress. If I'm sitting under a bar for either a bench press or a squat or something else, I can't sit there and dwell on what I've been hiding for so long. So putting my body under that stress then puts you under that mental stress. So then like some of the other things I do is, you know, I'll work out without music. So then it's just nothing but, you know, I don't have that motivation. I don't have, you know, pre-workout, all these other things where it's just literally a mental grind. And for me, that's what really puts me in a good spot mentally is, is the physical 
uh, physical work for it. Um, I don't hold anything back from Julie. I've had, you know, bad calls on the helicopter. Um, you know, I had a, a little girl that looked exactly like my daughter. Um, I flew her from Defuniac Springs to Sacred Heart. And even with all training and skills and everything else that we had, there was absolutely nothing we could do to save her. Um, you know, I sat there and just watched her. And we get to Sacred Heart. We land doing CPR on her. We get up to the hospital, to the ER, you know, for probably 20, 25 minutes we're working her. And then they're going to go take her up to uh, to the um, surgical ward. So they rush her up there. And um, one of my friends that was on a, another helicopter that flew the mom she comes over and she goes, are you okay? I said, nope. And uh, uh, my flight nurse, um, very good friend of mine from years over the past, uh, he's like, hey man, uh, I'm gonna be out in the trucks or out in the ambulance bay. And uh, he said, I'm gonna find a corner. I said, I'll be in the other corner. I walked out there, took my life vest off, um, sat in the corner and probably cried for a good 10, 15 minutes. And uh, when I got done, grabbed my phone, called Julie, cause she was at home at the time. I said, hey, I need to talk to Amy. And if I didn't have that talk with her years ago of, I mean, she could tell I'm upset. She's been around me long enough. She knew I was upset. She knew I was crying. And if it was one of those, oh, well, tell me what's wrong. Why are you crying? All these other things, then it probably could have gone worse or never mind. I'll just hang up and things like that. But because we had had those talks over, there may be times that I work that I call you and I just need to talk for there's times where I need to vent or whatever. And it doesn't always have to be the spouse. You know, I've done it with my, some of my good friends where I just call them and, hey, man, I need to talk. And having that network, like we were talking about earlier, of those good friends that you can lean on for that. Hey, man, I'm calling you just to talk. Or, hey, I need to go get a coffee, cup of coffee with you. So I'm out on the flight pad. I call Julie. I said, hey, I need to talk to Amy. And, of course, she gets on the phone. She has no clue. Julie had no clue about what we had just done. And I said, hey, baby, how was your day at school today? And she, oh, well, I did fine. We did this and we did this. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'll be at work tonight, but I'll see you tomorrow. I love you. And then, you know, okay, daddy, I love you. And then hung up. And that's what I needed. And Julie texts me later. She goes, call me when, when you can. And I knew just based again on that relationship with her, it was like, you know, I called her later on that night and I said, hey, this is what was going on. She said, okay, well, I'm sorry you're dealing with that. You know, I'm here if you need me, you know, all that other stuff. And then we left it alone. Well, unbeknownst to me, uh, on our flight, this is the other good thing about it becoming a little bit more on the professional side. Um, our flight program had a policy where uh, we called it three to go, one to say no. So if one person said, no, I don't think we should be going on this flight, we didn't go on the flight. So on the way back, we had this whole you know incident with this little girl. And uh, on the way back, we get a phone or we get a, a flight request for a, a, a gunshot wound for GSW. Well, we weren't in the mental place to take care of it. And this is kind of goes back to what you're talking about with, with the mental health too, is when we were, I looked over at my flight nurse, I said, Hey man, I said, I, I'm not going to be able to. And he goes, no, I feel the same way. So we told the pilot, the pilot told our, our dispatch, Hey, uh, we're going to turn it down. Um, we're going to need a timeout when we get back to the base. So if we would have forced ourselves through it and done everything else, uh, James and I both knew the person that had, self-inflicted gunshot wound. Uh, he had actually worked with her. Um, she had taught some classes that I had been in in the past. So I couldn't have imagined if we would have taken that flight and had to seen that. But because we recognize, hey, I'm not in a good place mentally, I don't need to add to this. Um, we know we took that pause, that time out. We got back to base. Um, you know, we, we went out of service for about an hour. 
uh, kind of cried it out a little bit more, talked amongst ourselves, and then, you know, moved on for the rest of the shift. So, you know, with me personally, it's it's one of those that having somebody, you know, I've had very uh, intimate talks with, you know, we talked about Jim. I've talked to Jim. Um, he's our peer support uh, coordinator for Scambia Fire. And, uh, you know, he always has his phone on. So I know that all I have to do is give him a call and say, hey, man, I need to talk to you. And he'll just listen. And, you know, on the other side of the mental health, too, is being that person where somebody calls or texts you, hey, can I talk? Julie knows there's been times where um, people have called me and I just look at her and, you know, I give her that look. And she knows that I'm not dodging or trying to take a phone call, but she knows that somebody is somebody needs to talk to me. And, you know, I tell her about it later, of course. But, you know, there's you have to have that person that you could reach out to. But you also have to be that person that somebody can reach out to. And I think that's where, you know, when you when you load so much baggage on, yes, you need to get rid of it. But, you know, like we were saying earlier with having good friends and good networking is it's good to have somebody to help you with the baggage or you can help with their baggage. And, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have experienced this, too, on the emotional side. It's like sometimes it's just listening. Sometimes the best thing you can do is listen. And, you know, some other good advice that Julie told me before is, you know, it would be, oh, well, that's terrible, but and then you would try and say something. She's like, you you might have a lot of sympathy, but you don't have empathy. So in doing so, there's the sympathetic, I'm sorry you're going through this, and the empathetic is, you know, how can I help you get through this? So just having that empathy with somebody to say, you know, I might not have experienced this, I might not have, you know, had to deal with what you're dealing with or going through what you're going through, but I'm sorry that you're going through it and I'm here for you. And, you know, yeah. that part of the mental health is very, very uh, essential, too, is, again, having somebody that you can that you can help unload their baggage to, even if it's just listening. Yes, um, <clears throat> it's very admirable, I, I think, of uh, hearing of your relationship with your wife. That is very that I, I'm, I'm super happy for you that you have that. Um, I did not, unfortunately, and. I will uh, I will say that with saying this that I know that I was not easy to be married to because of the problem that I had that I was not willing to admit that I had um, and <clears throat> pardon me I, uh, I I did the same thing for years and years and years of I don't want to talk to another firefighter because then as I'm trying to talk it out and I got to relive my story, then he's going to end up reliving something from his story. And then it's just going to be a revolving cycle. And then blah, 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 blah. It's like, I can't do that to another firefighter. And I don't want to talk to a stranger because, you know, I can't relate with a stranger and how they're going to know all this yeah. just, just bad information. But then on the other side of that, I felt like I couldn't talk to my wife. Um, <clears throat> because there were times when I did come back from, you know, and this, you, you will understand what I'm about to say um, more than most. I think that, you know, it may not, it, it was a fatality or something like that, or just a major casualty, but it wasn't that bad. You know, it was, it was what it was. It was kind of one of the situations you show up, you knew what it was, you got it handled and you were gone. You weren't there for hours and hours and hours. It was just, it was just handled. And she came, I came home from one, one day and she asked me about it and, we were still fairly new um, in that stage, and I started telling her about it, and just giving her you know very basic details because I didn't want to, I didn't want to give her you know too much and it'd be too much on her because I thought I'd be burdening her or whatever. 
And then she just said, okay, you know, I wasn't ready and I don't want to hear about that stuff. So I never talked to her and, you know, I ran, I ran a call. uh, Let's see. What is it? It will be nine years ago this year. I believe that it it still sticks. Honestly. Um, It was the day after like almost 12 hours on the dot after we found out that our second child was a little girl. Riley, mm-hmm. my oldest daughter, and we worked uh, we worked a house fire that had a fatality of a three year old little girl in the house. Um, that messed me up bad, and I couldn't tell her about it for a long time. Yeah, and I, I just now the position that I'm at now, the life that I'm in now, with the people that I have around me, it's much better. Um. Also, one of the reasons why I left the fire service and just kind of abruptly left the fire service, honestly, was um, I uh, I recognized that I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't care. I didn't have the drive. I didn't have the love. I didn't have the initiative, any of any of those things that that almost I required of myself to do that because I had taught. Many coming through our department and through other departments and all that is like, if you ever have to ask yourself why you're still doing this, then you yeah. need to, you need to really, you, you need to immediately reevaluate what you're doing and why you're doing it. And it may be time to go. And I didn't love it anymore. And honestly, I didn't care. And I was, I was a Lieutenant and there was definitely going to be situations that came up that needed me to care. And I didn't know if I was going to. And yeah. that is never a position that I wanted to expose anybody that I was working with <clears throat> or anybody in my department to. So <clears throat> I hit rock bottom and thank God of, you know, my fire chief and my battalion chief and another one of my lieutenants that I was with him, me, like him me up one night and we all just, we all hashed it out. We were all crying. We were all, you know, spilling our guts. You know, Will Irvin, my battalion chief is one of my best friends to this day. It's one of the reasons why I'm still here. Looked at me and said, "I'm not burying another firefighter over this shit." So, yeah. I, uh, I I owe a lot to him of me still being here. And I I told him right then, it's like I'm done. I I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And it's not fair to this department. It's not fair to y'all. And it's not fair to me. Um, I am not okay, and I uh, I need to get to where I am okay. So, I. I am I'm in a one year office as a lieutenant currently. I was in my fourth year as a lieutenant. I said I will continue to do my job as a lieutenant, but January one, I'm gone. I'm out. Like I'm not I'm not doing this anymore. I hate to be so abrupt and so harsh with that. You know, it's like, well, maybe you could step down in just a firefighter role, or maybe you could take a leave or any of that kind of stuff. And I said, no, I would, I, I don't want to do that because I just, I don't want to be here and I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have my mind in the right spot. I'm not going to have my priorities in the right place. And that is not fair to this department or the citizens of this town. So I'm out. Like I'm gone. If there's ever a day when I want to come back, I'll come back. But as of right now, I'm, I'm out. And that's exactly what happened. And that has been almost two years. And honestly, as much as I hate to say it, as much as I invested and as much as I gave and as much as I'll never get back just from being in the fire service, I don't miss it. I really don't. 
Um, I miss the people. I miss the camaraderie. I miss the fellowship and all of that kind of thing. But as far as everything else that came with it, I just don't have the love for it anymore. And I don't, I, I, I still don't miss it. And I know that, I know that how that sounds may sound to a career guy, but that's just me being truthful. Yeah. But the, the good thing is, is that, you know, a couple different things in there, you know, you had, like I said, you had that, that battalion chief to help you unpack and recognizing that, okay, this, this, I would rather you be here than keep pushing you to be a fireman. You not be here. You know, that's unfortunately, you know, cancer is the number one killer. And then, you know, suicide is number two throughout the country of firefighters and first responders and everything else. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate because we don't have those people to go to. We have to s- establish support teams and we have to do, you know, uh, critical, critical incident stress management, all these other things in, you know, it's call it what it is. But back in the day, you had that best friend that you'd go talk to. You had that you know, that, that fellow firefighter and other stuff that you could lean on for that. And, you know, whenever we started, again, just my opinion going down this trail, but we started, uh, you know, everybody gets their own bunk room and everybody gets this. And we have these individuals and all this other stuff instead of that, that camaraderie with it. Like you were able to find that same brotherhood and camaraderie in the, in the gym and the, uh, the strongman circuit. But a lot of people that when, when they lose it or they feel like, oh, I don't want to lose that part of it, then, they put other things aside and, you know, they'll, they'll go internal and stuff. And, you know, one of, one of my good friends that I, uh, that I have is a uh, Jacob Melligan. He said, you know, it winds up being that people are asking questions and it's cur- uh, yeah, curiosity disguised by concern. So when you have these ideas of, Oh, well, you know, what happened? Oh man, that's terrible. They don't, they don't care what you, what you're going through. They don't care what you're thinking. They don't care what's going on. They're just curious. And it has nothing to do with your needs at the time. Um, you know, when we experienced everything with Haley, people were calling us and this is where kind of, you know, Julie and I recognized it thankfully early, uh, you know, Oh no, uh, that's, that's horrible. What happened? And it's like, uh, uh, so I'd sit there and I'd tell the story, you know, she was at home, she got sick, ambulance came, blah, blah, blah. And then the next person would call, Hey, uh, I heard that, you know, Haley's not doing too good. Uh, you know, what's, what's going on? And I'd tell the whole story with them. And it's like, after probably about the first couple of days of that, I was like, I'm, I'm, every time I do this and you hit, you, you know, you, you're exactly right. You relive it. And by reliving it, it's picking that scab and picking that scab and picking that scab. But having those friends where, you know, those close people or even just the, the, the leadership having in place, you know, above or below you to say, hey, I'm going to call you and tell you this problem. And I just want you to be quiet and listen, you know, and, and having that where, I had those people where I could call and say, Hey, this is what's going on. All right, man, I'm praying for you. If you need anything, let me know. And that was it. I didn't have to go into details and relive everything. And, and like you're saying with that, that unfortunate incident that you had with that little girl in the, in the fire, you know, there's, there's, that is truly a make or break. And, you know, when it comes down to, uh, well, tell me what happened, Josh. And then you're going through the whole thing. And the next person, Hey man, I heard that you were struggling at this fire. Tell me what happened. It's like, dude, I don't, I don't need to tell you what's going on. I just need you to understand that I'm going through something. And I need the empathy on it to say, okay, well, I'm here. If you need me, let's get doing this. And whether that's training or, you know, let's go for a walk or something that helps de-stress you. And unfortunately the fire service has gotten to the point where we're more concerned about knowing something about somebody than knowing how to help them. Yeah, that is, that is a harsh, harsh fact that is not popular when you bring it up. 
I think another big deal for you, Josh, is that the fact that you saw the issue and you recognized the issue and you just didn't shove it down. Like you, you actively searched yourself to say, Hey, I know something's wrong here. I need to lead the situation because there's yeah. plenty, yeah. plenty, blah, plenty of people in all kinds of lines of work that gets to that kind of situation, their mindset. And they're like, well, this is all I know. This is all I can do. I'm going to deal with it. And then it just eats at them. So yeah. I've never been in that world. Uh, I don't, I don't think I'd ever want to be in that world from the conversations I've had with you. But with the, with the things that, you know, I deal with my mindset, knowing that you recognize the issue is a big deal to tell to other people because then when they get to the moment of what do I do now? Well, if you recognize it and you hear somebody else say, well, they recognize their issue and they started actively searching for, for positive ways to solve or not solve it, but like work through it. It's a good thing to, to express to people and for them to hear. Mm -hmm. So that's a big deal to me. And I don't know if I told you that, but I'm proud of you for that too. Cause I know how you are. You do, you do put stuff in boxes. You car, uh, compartmentalize them very well. That's one of those times that you shouldn't do that. And I'm proud of you for not doing that. I appreciate that. Um, one of the big things for me in that, in that whole situation, when it finally came full circle <clears throat> is I never got to be a career firefighter. I didn't. I worked one shift as a paid firefighter and had to resign the following Monday over uh, this heart stuff, this all kinds of just, as I could tell, I could tell the whole long sob, sob story about it, but just it boiled down to I was hired, I worked a shift, they asked questions, doctors asked questions, um, all kinds of other stuff happened. I couldn't get the issue resolved between two doctors. I had to, I had to resign because they let me come to work before my physical cleared. Anyway, the biggest message that I always, I, I tried to have that I was passed down from other wise firefighters is that just because I, you are a volunteer does not, and does not mean you cannot be a professional. There is no excuse to not be a professional. So the my department really, really, really got lucky within a, a probably a three or four year stretch where we just had just stellar officers. You know, our fire chief was like the right guy for the job. You know, he knew his he knew his days of, you know, going to going in the the front lines. He knew those days were over or not necessarily over for him, but he knew that he was, he was in a position where he didn't need to be the one that does that. Um, so he got to be the fire chief that he needed to be, that we needed him to be, you know, the, my deputy chief, the guy that's been there is, has forgotten more about fire than I'm ever, ever going to learn. You know, he was, he started in the first career department in Mobile County or in, um, Chickasaw, when Chickasaw became a paid department in the 60s is when he started in the fire service. That man has forgot more about fire than I've ever learned. And he was kind of the matriarch or the patriarch in this, that situation. Just, you know, he was he's the what if guy, you know, and it was we, we would tease him about it, you know, about being the what if guy. But, you know, 
most of the time when he threw out one of those what ifs, it was one of those, well, damn, he makes a good point kind of thing. You know, my battalion chief, Will, uh, who is, you know, he's a captain at Porch Creek. He's uh, he's also a flight medic for air care. Um, you know, he's still he's still uh, aggressive as a firefighter. It was it worked out really well because myself and the other two lieutenants were that were directly under him. We're all very, very aggressive um, attackers. And when it came to mitigating problems and we all worked very well together, you know, it got to the point where we didn't have to talk to each other much. We just knew what we had to do. and We knew what we needed our guys to do. It just, it, everything worked very well. So we had a good three or four year stretch or five years of just, of just, top-notch and everything being efficient. And my issue that I had was, okay, well, I am royally screwing this up because all the stuff that we have spent all this time working to improve, to not have the issues with, to be open and honest with each other about issues that we have, now I'm messing that up because I don't care. So it's time to go. And that was a long talk that I had with a lot of guys that were with the officer staff that was there. It's just like, look, this is, this is where I'm at. And I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be around. Like if you ever, like when you need an instructor, if you need somebody to just be a body or something like that, uh, I do not mind doing that. I almost feel obligated to do that because of the knowledge that I do have. I don't want it to go to waste. And, you know, I want to, I want firefighters around here that are going to show up to an incident that I need or that, that I'm involved in, I'm really going to need them to give a shit. And I want to make sure that I can, that, that they do. So, um, those have been few and far between, but it is what it is. You know, I understand why. So that's just, 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 just back to being a professional. It's like, just because you're just because you're not getting paid to do this job does not mean you can't do it professionally. Uh, and uh, it pains me to see departments that don't take themselves seriously. It pains me so much. Yeah, and I think kind of go back to what Jacob was saying too. It's you know, un unfortunately, it was it a I learned this in paramedic school. Seventy five percent of men over fifty seven years old, if they contemplate suicide, will carry it through. And it's a very scary number when we think about you know guys that are are saying that you know this is the end of the road and there is no other option and you know they have the the outside everything looks fine but you know like you said those those close friends are like hey something's not right and it really does take courage to say you know something's not right um and i'm i'm, I'm glad that you did say that too josh and i'm glad that you're here and i'm glad that you know uh you recognize that and you know one of my best friends he tried the firefighting thing too and he had uh one particular call that uh he said nope this isn't for me and, um, you know, he joined the Air Force, retired out of there, what, two Octobers ago. And, you know, he's, he's been very glad with that decision, too. And, you know, it's 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 it truly is a calling. But to understand, too, that just because I'm not in a first responder role as a police officer or, you know, paramedic or firefighter or whatever, there's still struggles that we all go through. And having guys that are friends and girls that are friends that are in the fire service and outside, best thing to do is just be a good human. You know, yes. it's knowing that they're there for you and, you know, whether that's somebody at the gym or somebody, you know, even in the gas station, just smiling at somebody. You never know what somebody's going through and what difference you can make. Kind of go back, you know, full circle that we talk about posting those workouts. 
you know, having some sort of positivity, it's very easy to be negative. I mean, there's so many things that you can be negative about, but to be being positive is a choice. And by making that choice, you choose to go down that, that, that path that, you know, you, you won't ever see the, you might not always see the, the outcome of it. And it's a hard metric to follow to say, because I smiled at this person, they did this, or because I took that phone call, they did this. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that, you know, you had the, that support network for it. Um, and, you know, be just, again, be a good human. It's very easy. Be a good uh, you know, human. Don't choose to go down. Don't choose to go down those trails of, you know, uh, stuff you can't control. And, um, you know, that, that stoic mindset I've been trying more and more lately to get down is like, you know, those, the, the philosophies of worry about things that you can actually make handles and changes on. You'll rarely, if ever, see me post anything political or say anything political on that note. I'll, I'll talk to my close friends about it, but you know, why am, I, why am I complaining about something that I have absolutely no control over? You know, I have more control over the farm and my family and the fire department, and all these other things. So why not focus my time on those instead of, you know, like you said earlier, what what Joe Biden or uh, you know Trump or anybody else is doing? They don't care about me. I don't care about them. You know, yeah. I'm more concerned about the fact that you know. Uh, how can I make my kids grow up to be better, you know, humans? How can I support my wife to, you know, get her where she wants to be in her life? You know, how can I set myself up for the future, but also balance my time still at home? So, you know, just be a good human. Hello. There we go. There it is. Okay. There we go. Sorry. That was, that was our end this time. Yeah, um, that was us. We were, we were, Trying to ask a question yeah. between each other. Um, be a good human. I, I, that's just that's a simple phrase. And shout out to our uh, friend of the show, a friend of us, a friend of ours, just a wonderful human, Mr. Jared Cook. Of all the flavors in the world you could choose to be, don't choose to be salty. <laughs> I like that. That's very good. That's no, very you, good. You should listen to one of the podcast episodes he's on. He has some phenomenal ones. He's got some good ones. He's, uh, he's from... He is from Illinois, but you wouldn't know it. <laughs> you would yeah. not. It's yeah. just a good yeah, human. Uh, I like to listen to podcast. You know, living. I live about 35, 40 minutes from work, so you know, podcasts are definitely take up the time better than uh, you know any of the modern music. So yeah, I'll definitely <laughs> listen to that one. Well, uh, if uh, if you want to listen to something that doesn't require any brain power, we <laughs> are here for you. <laughs> if you want to listen to something that makes <laughs> no, you, you feel you, better, <laughs> we got you. No, no, you guys have been doing great, and I really enjoyed, you know, having these conversations from everything from, you know, the farm to the the mental health and you know conversations that unfortunately need to be had. And I'm glad you guys are, you know, putting yourself out there to to make those conversations. I, uh, I my, myself, along with Jacob, have both said, um, at different points and to each other that with this platform, we are both willing to have the uncomfortable conversation. We are willing to to force ourselves to have the conversation because it, even if it's just somebody hears it and it's just like, okay, well, maybe I'm not alone or maybe I'm not going through this by myself or maybe there are people that can relate to me out there. That's the biggest takeaway that we have. <clears throat> it's not a waste if somebody gets something out of it. And um, by myself have made myself uncomfortable being willing to 
talk about my issue and not keep it a secret and not wash over the facts of why I was the way I was. And Jacob is also a very good steward of that, that he does, he doesn't hold back on what his issues have been. And he's not afraid to, to put it out there like that for somebody when they need it. So that is, we appreciate you saying that just because it, 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 it is an, it is very much an effort on our parts to be that and to be in this position, especially with this platform of being able to put it out to people that we do know and that we don't know. So we, uh, and this is a good way too, like you said, even, even for, this is some of, you know, your therapy too, is, you know, talking your way through it and, you know, with y'all's friendship between each other, even, you know, just having it recorded where later on in life, you can look back and be like, yep, this is why we're best friends, man. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say there's been things, there's been things I've heard from shows and movies and, people having conversations from years ago, decades ago that I've, I've been able to use in the last couple of years of things going on, especially this last uh, eight months or so that I've been dealing with. Like I've been able to use, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Ted Lasso. It's a great show. It is fantastic. I highly recommend people to watch it. Not because of what it is, but how they handle situations uh, in that show. The head coach, he moves from, I believe, it's Kansas to London, England to coach the soccer team. And he goes through a wild range of uh, emotions dealing with the relocation and the divorce that he goes through with his wife and stuff like that. One of the things that sticks out to me, though, is the stuff that I've heard from that show and other things. I may not have been able to hear it when it first came out, I think three or four years ago, but having the ability to listen to it now has been a tremendous thing to help me. So my view on this is there's people that can hear the conversations that we have now that could hear this in a year, two, five, ten, however many. Like, hey, if people were going through that at that point in time that I'm going through at this point in time, there's something out there I can help myself relate with and and help me push forward through the situations yeah so that's why i've enjoyed this because uh at one point i was very against this just because i don't listen to podcasts i don't even listen to ours to go back and say hey we could do that better (laughs) i I, i'm just not a podcast person i'm Um, the weirdo that goes back and listens huh i'm the weirdo that listens back that's not a bad thing it's really not because you have the ability to separate yourself from this, and I don't. I don't have the ability to separate me hearing myself talk, because I think I sound terrible. But that's not that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, it's just having the ability to go back and listen to things from other people that are much smarter than me in situations that I haven't been through yet or I'm currently going through to learn and grow. It's very necessary. And I, I feel like people don't think about that in this, in times of need or desperation because they feel like they can't reach out or that they can't talk to somebody because they feel like they're going to be a burden. And then listening to you know the stuff that we've talked about before and having the, the honest, non-sugarcoat conversations about it. it mm-hmm. I, we had one earlier. It was very short, very quick, but it was very to the point. And we were like, all right, cool. Got this thing buried. Moving on. Yep. Um, sure actually, it was, it was about t- 10 minutes before the podcast are uh, actually, I don't think it was that long. <laughs> I was going to say it was very short to the point and 
And here we are. Yeah. But so, having having the people, I'm sorry, I won't finish up. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Uh, but having those people around you that you can rely on is fantastic. Also having people that you may never meet in your life have situations that you can listen to and just say, oh, hey, this is a whole nother point of view I'd never would have listened to or got to see through. I can use this to better my situation. Yeah. Yeah. That was that's was, that's was my point. Self improvement, man. I'm I'm a I'm a proponent or a component or an an advocate or whatever the word is for self improvement. No matter big or small, just just you know, again, one percent better every day. And we have a very good relationship where we don't have to worry about whether or not we're going to be honest with each other because we know that we are. And uh, I value that very much. And I'm uh, the Jacob is also one of the reasons why I'm still here. Uh, it got bad. It got dark. I'm not even gonna act like it didn't. Uh, there was I went through probably probably a year where I did not carry a gun on me just because of the situation that led up to that. So uh, I, I just recently started carrying a pistol again. So there's that. Yeah. Like I said, man, I'm I'm glad that, you know, you have that somebody and, um, you know, everybody does. It's just a matter of whether they know it. So, you know, back with being a good human is let people know that you're that somebody, you know, send them those random texts send them the, you know, just a little affirmation on, hey, man, appreciate you posting that video or a, uh, you know, hey, I'm in your area. You want to grab something or, you know, there's other little things and having that ability to also be the recipient of it, of knowing, Hey, um, Hey, I need to talk to you. Well, if I see that, then I know for sure this isn't just, you know, you want my opinion on what color to paint your office. It's the, you know, I've, I need to make sure that you're there for me and I'm there for you. And, you know, this is something that I'm telling my, my oldest right now, you know, she's a senior and she has all these quote unquote friends that are in her class. And I said, you know, baby, as you get older, your friend circle gets smaller, but it gets tighter. Yes. And, you know, I can list I can list probably four or five guys right now where if I called them and said, hey, um, I need you to come to my house right now. They would drop everything and come to my house. Yes. If that was all the people that I went to high school with or everybody I've known since then. No, I mean, it's like, all right, man, well, you know, I've got this going on. And I've got this. But when you really find out who those those true friends, brothers, sisters that you have. You know, that's something that is is more valuable than, you know, anything that you'd ever have in a bank. And knowing that, you know, just give an example, one of my friends, Chris Watson, uh, we were doing redoing our house and uh, tore a wall down, put some flooring down, other stuff. Well, um, as, as big and strong as I am, I can't carry a couch yet. You know, I've been I'm, I'm not a strong man like you, Josh. But <laughs> yeah, the, uh, that's I thank you for saying that yet. yet. There's positive. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, there's um, floor dollies. No. So I was going to, <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I just sent him a text message and said, Hey, um, when you get a chance, uh, let me know. He lives probably about 20 minutes away. I was like, Hey, um, he knew we were doing the renovation. I said, if you don't mind, uh, give me a hand one day, moving the furniture back in. Well, he was on his way home from teaching at the Academy, called the wife, said, Hey, I'm going to run by Joel's real quick. He needs a quick hand. Of course, you know, we're good friends with her too. He's like, okay, yeah, sounds good. So literally he came from work to my house, helped me carry two couches in and a um, parts of the sofa for me to put back together. Gave him a high five. Uh, my kids call him Uncle Chris. They gave him a hug, got in the car and left. 
you know, there's, there's only a handful of guys that I know that would do that. Other people would make excuses. And, you know, the, the, the older you get and, you know, as, as you're saying, Jacob, once you start realizing and recognizing those people, you know, that that truly means more the older you get than, you know, having that, you know, I have so many followers or, you know, so many people listen or watch my videos or do other stuff. It's like, no, I'd rather have that that four to five solid than, you know, the 5,000 just, you know, jello, however you want to refer to it. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say the when I got married, I probably had the top four people that I could call on at any point in time that would be here for me if I needed them um, as my groomsman and best man. And I was very appreciative of the fact that they were there. And, uh, you know, I guess, unfortunately, the situation and circumstances didn't work out how I wanted them, but that's fine. Um but yeah, I would have to say I have maybe 10 people that I feel like I could call on at two in the mornings. Hey man, I'm not in a good spot. I, I need you. And they would be mm-hmm. there within a, a timely manner. And, uh, yeah, I know at one point it felt like I, I didn't have that. And I remember saying that to, uh, the, my best friend who is my best minimum winning, uh, he, his name is JJ and he probably lit me up and down for a good hour just saying, how in the world do you feel like you couldn't give me a call when you're feeling that bad? I said the same thing yeah. to Josh and he lit me for probably a good hour or so saying the same thing. Like, why do you feel like you couldn't talk to me during this? And I told him both the same answer was I didn't want to feel like a burden. And it was people being that honest and frustrated at me saying we're your people for a reason. Like I'm one of your people. You should be comfortable enough to call anybody anytime. And when you find those people, keep them, hold on to them, make sure that they know that you care about them just as much as they care about you. Indeed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I don't know if Josh told you or not, but one thing that he and I do every day and I try to I try to branch out to all my other friends and um you know my family and stuff like that that I I, that I choose to talk to and have as my family is I try to tell them every day that I get to talk to them is I love them no matter what's going on no matter if we've had an argument or if we haven't talked in a few months or whatever it's like I just want you to know that no matter what you have going on if you need me I'm here and I love you just do your thing. I'm, I'm just a phone call away. And I know at some point people will say that's kind of cliche. It's like, oh, if you need me, call me. It's like, uh, I drove like me. This is, this is just me saying what I did. My best friend, JJ, put out there, hey, I need someone to help me build uh, a playset for Ember. And Ember is his three-year-old little girl. And he lives three hours away. And I was there next day because uh, I, I was getting off work. And he told me to come up on Friday and I was there Friday at like eight in the morning. So. Yeah. This- well, you made, you made the choice and you know, that's a lot of times people don't realize that they have choices. And I think that kind of narrows down what we were talking about of, you know, um, when, when, when Josh and JJ both chewed your ass about the fact that how did you not make me feel like that? You know, I, I, I choose you to be in my life and I choose you to be, you know, the reciprocant of, of the saying, you know, and, yeah. um, a lot of times, 
especially guys, because we, we're hard at admitting it. Uh, you know, we, we don't feel like we have choices. And then we start going down roads that we probably shouldn't and realizing that the choice has been there all along. But sometimes it takes us to be the choice. And then, like you're saying, Jacob, it's like, no, I'm going to remind you that I'm the choice. And, yeah. uh, you know, when we experienced that with Haley, we had everybody, hey, I need this. Or, hey, if you need anything, let me know. And no matter the comments on Facebook, the text messages, the phone calls, and everybody that was saying it, I knew in that whole group, all I had to do was say, hey, can someone come mow my yard? And I had guys coming to mow my yard. And as long as, you know, especially as a, you know, a grown ass man, we don't want to admit we need help, especially on our grass. But after a certain point, it's like, no, I, I know they want to do something for me. And then this, this is where they feel like they can do something. It's not always, you know, giving money. A lot of times it's giving time and, you know, having, having those guys, but also realizing that, you know, saying that I love you, um, you know, we lost uh, Lieutenant Terrell Jackson on January 9th of this last year, no heart condition. And he'd been in the hospital since like the day after or the week after Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, he's in and out, um, going through some stuff. He was put on the list for a heart transplant. And, you know, and I think you guys both kind of hit on this is for whatever reason, this day in December, I thought, hey, I'm going to go up to the hospital and see Terrell. And all the situations came up where I wasn't able to, but I was like, at least I can send him a message, say, thinking about you, love you, man, right? And, you know, Terrell and I weren't overly close, but it was definitely, we had a good work relationship. We had, you know, gone out of town trips together for classes and stuff. So we had definitely the relationship. So I sent him a text message and I guess he had his phone on me. I said, hey, man, thinking about you, hope all is well, um, you know, uh, praying for you. If there's anything the family needs, just let us know we're right here. And almost instantly replied back, thanks, Cap. I appreciate you. I've been thinking about you too. You know, hope all is well in the family. And, you know, that was the last time I ever talked to Terrell. And I told him, I said, I love you, man. I hope to see you out on the fires here shortly. And, you know, whenever I found out that he had passed away, my mind went back to, I know that I had my last words to him were, I love you, man. And, you know, there's times where we're at the fire scene, we're at other places and, Every once in a while, you get a strange look, but it's like, all right, man, good job today. Appreciate it. Love you guys. And just letting guys know that, like, like you're saying, it's, it, hey, I'm, I'm that option if you need it. I'm, I'm that choice that I'm here. You know, I love you. I've invested in you, and I want you to be able to know that you can invest right back. So, absolutely. Uh, I saw that when it came up about, um, about him, and it just, you know, I, I, um, I relived. A little bit, not to take, not to take away from him or that situation, not not at all. Um, but it did remind me and relive the Dwayne Bradshaw situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Dwayne Bradshaw was uh, was at Loxley when I started and uh, went through went through some stuff with with him and uh, just knowing him and just being around him and just you know him being in my life and being in his life and. Um, I actually talked to him a week before the, uh, the, the wreck. And it just, I, I take a little bit of comfort knowing that I told him I loved him when I talked to him on the phone. Cause it was the last time I ever talked yeah. to him. Um, and I, I made an effort to start saying that cause there was a, one of my very good friends, um, took his own life. He was a Pritchard firefighter. Uh, he took his own life in 2016, and 
he would have uh, he would have been one of my groomsmen. It may have been a little sooner than that, but it doesn't matter. He's 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 not here, and I wish that he was because I would slap the taste out of his mouth if I could see him, and I would cry my eyes out in his arms at the same time. Um, kind of situation like that, but you know, ever since then, because I, I I still wonder is like, well, what did I say to him the last time I talked to him? Yeah. Uh, now I know with my people and just everybody around me, I know that I've at least told them I loved them. So I, uh, yeah, I, no, I understand the, those conversations too. will will always, you know, every January 9th and then every November 6th with Dwayne, you know, that that'll come up in your mind too. Of I can just look back at that text message and, you know, know that that was my, you know, you never know when that last conversation is a lot of things like I said are outside of our control, but have when we talk about the backside of mental health, knowing that, you know, the hatchet was buried, the relationship was there. They knew that you cared about them, you know, whether you said I love you or not, but they knew that you cared. And, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely a, uh, for your mental health, it's definitely one of those, um, good periods that unfortunately sometimes the end of a short sentence. So, yeah. Um, how, uh, how close were you to, to Bradshaw? Like, well, I mean, not like, you know, like how often did you see him sure. or work with him? So Dwayne and I actually volunteered together. Uh, his dad was one of the chiefs at Inslee when I was there as a junior. And, um, you know, he went to Mississippi and then joined the, um, the military. And we had associations throughout the years. Um, but with me working for the city fire and then when he came back, um, you know, he was uh, gone a lot. Um, I knew his wife. I knew, you know, he had the kids and stuff. Um, but you know, one of my other jobs that I do is I'm, I run the honor guard and, um, yes. you know, that was a lot of line of duty death. And that was our first, you know, official one with our department. So what, what really hit me and, you know, I don't know if you knew his nickname was Shockey. Um, oh, yo, so yo, he, yes, sir. His, his first tattoo he got on his arm, uh, you know, he came all happy home one, uh, up to the station. He showed us all what the tattoo was on his arm and, uh, you know, excited about it. You know, they call me Shocky and look at this. And so it was one of those that over the years we had a, a friendship. Um, I know he did a lot for Escambia County when it came to teaching. Uh, he taught a lot of the classes for our volunteer staff, um, you know, for our career staff that would attend. And he definitely kept the education aspect of, you know, the equivalency of making sure we all had the same capability for and access to training. Um, but you know, when it really came ahead for me was, you know, when we went to the funeral home and, uh, one of my responsibilities was to make sure that the uniform he was being buried in was correct. So, um, you know, I went and, uh, myself and chief Beatty, Russell Beatty, um, he drove me over there and, uh, you know, they opened up the casket and he's in his uniform and you know, make sure that the buttons were lined up, make sure the bugles were straight and his badge and his name and all this stuff. And then it really hit me. That's, you know, a friend of mine, that's Dwayne. And, um, you know, I call it what it is. And I don't have any problem admitting it. I stopped for a few minutes, cried, knowing that, you know, he did have, you know, his wife and the kids and everything else, all because of, you know, something that was completely out of his control with the, uh, the truck driver. And, yeah. you know, like with Terrell, after Terrell's situation, uh, you know, again, it was line of duty, had everything going on, um, you know, the department there setting everything up. <clears throat> I really haven't told this much <clears throat> story, but um, 
since we're being formal in front. So uh, we're at Marcus Point Baptist Church, dealt a lot with his, uh, with his family, um, his girlfriend and his kids and seeing all this stuff. And, you know, I, I've been doing the honor guard for, I don't know, 16, 18 years. So I've been to many funerals, seen many of the grief cycles, you know, had issues on both sides where, you know, had to deal with being a, a neutral party and making sure that the families didn't beat each other up and you know, all these other things. So I'm so focused on making sure Terrell got what he needed for his honors that the doors closed um, to the church. His sister was giving the, uh, you know, she was the, the, the preacher for it. Doors closed. I hear the latch. Um, you know, we did casket vigil. You know, I saw him in his, in his uniform. He was there at the front of the church and the doors closed. And I don't know what happened, but a wave of emotion overhit me and, you know, Nick Grady, who's our union president, he's my number two on the team. Um, I looked at Nick and I said, it's permanent, isn't it? I just started crying. And, uh, you know, he came over and gave me a hug and, you know, I'm starting to think about it now, but, you know, it's, it's the, it's again, what the, what the major part for my mental health was knowing that I'll forever have that text message on my phone, knowing that, you know, I told him I loved him and, uh, it's, it was out of our control. Um, but what I could control was making sure that the world knew how good of a person Dwayne was and the world knew how good of a person Terrell was. And, uh, you know, I stood in the back of the room there and it was just, just Nick and I in the, in the foyer there at Marcus point. And, you know, I cried and he cried a little bit and it was one of those that, all right, game on, we got a mission to do, let's finish it up. And, you know, that's how I dealt with it. And, you know, I told Julie about it, of course, and of course hit the weight room <laughs> quite severely afterwards to you know, work out some frustrations of, you know, why a mid thirties year old gung-ho fireman was taken from us. But again, I, I can't dwell on the whys. I have to deal with the, how we respond to it. And, you know, in doing so we were able to create, you know, I came up with a, uh, an award for um, Terrell and we were able to get kind of the, the verbiage for Dwayne is the, you know, the Terrell Jackson award for, you know, the firefighter that represents him as a, you know, a go-getter that makes sure that things are done. And then, you know, for Chief Bradshaw, we did the the Chief Dwayne Bradshaw Award that we do annually now. Um, that was a, where I felt like the legacy could then continue to remind them. And, you know, we invited Terrell's family to come up and give out the award. So they're always feeling like there's family and that they're never forgotten also. And, you know, so there, there's other ways like we were talking about not to keep dwelling on the mental health part of it. I think it's that important that we understand there's, there's other outlets that we can focus our attention on. And, uh, you know, it's one of those that I felt like we did everything we could for him. And, um, again, like you said, he just, I loved them and, you know, I, they knew that I loved them. So that's what my settling at the thought at the end of the day is. Yeah. Um, I believe that, Bradshaw's funeral was the last time I saw you in person. As a matter of fact, I'm sure I looked rather busy. <laughs> you so, did. Uh, you did. Yeah. Uh, I did not. Yeah. I did not take any attempts to speak to you or any of that because I knew what you had to do and I knew what you were doing. Yeah. So I, um, I think we gave each other a nod as we passed and that was the sure. extent of it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That was, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we had the ability to do that. And, you know, I'm glad that guys recognize too, that, um, you know, the best way to 
preserve the memory was to show the family, you know, and, um, you know, a lot of, we had so many, so the, the honor guard motto that we have for Escambia is Semper Gumpy, always flexible because no matter what the plan is, it's not going to go to plan. So, oh, yeah. you know, we had issues where, uh, with chief Bradshaw going from the hospital to the funeral home. Well, word got out that they were doing honor walk where they, you know, brought him down and he was escorted to the funeral home with police escort. Um, we literally had spent probably about four hours letting everybody know that false information. It's this day, this is going on. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes around in the background at these and, uh, you know, having guys, you know, you, you see the show, you don't see the, the practice. And I'm glad that, you know, we were able to, and you talk about like networking and having those guys to call. Um, you know, I had honor guards all the way from Scammy County. Uh, we had Alabama and we had all the way over to Walton County there because I, I knew we needed the help, but it was also one of those that they wanted to help. So it was, Hey man, let us know if you need anything. All right. I need you to do the flag, flag detail. Let us know if you can do anything. All right. I need you to do nothing, but be an usher and tell people where to sit, you know, and that, that to them was their way of contributing. And, you know, a lot of those guys felt like, um, even though they might not have known Bradshaw or Terrell, that was their way of honoring uh, that person in the memory that they had. So, um, yeah. yeah. Good deal. Um, yep. Well, it was, it was definitely an honor to be a part of that for sure. Um, and, you know, I didn't want to dwell on that too much just because I know of how difficult it was for all of us that knew him and, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, that I, I know the cocky shocky story very well. <laughs> um, yep. but there, there is one more thing I want to ask you about. Okay. Uh, I would like to hear you talk a little bit about chief Isaacson. His, his reputation very much precedes him very, uh, very highly. Uh, I've, I have not heard anybody say anything remotely negative about chief Ike. If, if I could be so free to call him chief Ike. Um, but you know, I watched the, the, when he was on with Elkhart brass, I watched that. I watched every single second of that with just him and all those guys, um, mm-hmm. you know, following his, teaching with FDIC and all that he does with that and everywhere that he goes is teaching and all those other things. So I, I would like to hear if you, if you don't mind about uh, chief Isaacson from your perspective, because he posted a video has been, it's been quite some time ago. I don't remember specifically when, but he was on his peer and he was talking about uh, what the peer meant to him as, uh, as it went to, you know, for mental health and for relationships and fellowships, you know, and you know, yeah. a, bu- a bunch of names came up that I didn't recognize, but your name came up in that video. It just, um, you just talk about Chief Ike. I'd like to hear about it. Yeah. So Chief Ike and I, up till probably just a couple of years ago, we had very similar resumes. Started as volunteers, um, and by no means am I comparing myself to him. Uh, what he's done for the fire department, not just here in Northwest Florida, but all throughout the country, is amazing. Um, so volunteer went to Pensacola, got hired or got promoted. Uh, he was a lieutenant. I was a lieutenant. He was there nine years. I was there six years. Uh, he came to the county. I came to the county. He was the training captain. I'm a training captain. So we have a lot of similarities in our careers. And I think that's pretty neat, especially with the kind of caliber person that he is. 
Um, I've seen, you know, over the last, he taught my fire one, um, when I was a volunteer and, you know, seeing him progress as not just a, you know, a professional, but also as, you know, the father and, um, you know, the, the leader that he is, uh, you know, he's our senior battalion chief, um, for our department. Uh, he's done uh, again, more for uh, just, you know, I'll be arrogant about it. He's done more for us than anybody ever probably could have just based on his relationships outside of the immediate area. Um, you know, he, he went through a lot putting himself out there and, you know, he's, he's definitely changed for the aspect of recognizing the fact that, um, you know, sometimes you can't make other people passionate, but what you can do is just present the opportunity. And that's definitely something I feel like, um, I'm trying to work towards also, um, you know, he was my battalion chief when I got, first got promoted and there was a lot of trust there on, you know, me being out on Perdido Key with, you know, 53 high risers and four of us protecting him. And, you know, he, he communicated that, you know, he didn't necessarily come out through the key a lot, but when he did, he made it worth our time. He would sit there and listen to us and, hey, that's a great idea. Let's do this and all these other things. So, you know, it's, it's we're definitely blessed to have him. And, uh, you know, even more recently, he sent his kids to the University of Florida. So now we're both Gator fans. So I'm glad that he uh, realized that orange and blue uh, is a great color to have. Uh, so, you know, uh, with his two kids are going there now and the possibility of the third, um, you know, uh, it, it's just great to have somebody with that motivation level. And, you know, sometimes that, you know, we'll keep referencing the two o'clock in the morning, but two o'clock in the morning running a drill when you're out on the fire ground for an activated alarm or, you know, smell of smoke inside or something. Sometimes it does take a little bit of a mature aspect of, oh, it's overwhelmingly inconvenient when I could be back in the bunk room. But when you're thinking that he is that passionate about him, and there's other guys that do it too, but he's that passionate about us being good at it, that he's going to put himself out there and be like, no, we're going to go through these. We're going to do this. And you guys are going to be expected to do that. So, you know, I definitely appreciate the fact of his passion with us. Um, you know, he, he is a scammer fireman through and through, and he'll tell us that. And, you know, the opportunity that he's given us to, you know, he sends guys other places and years of relationships and, you know, going all these other places and doing things all to make us better, which, you know, he could take credit for, but, you know, he's, he's definitely a, a lot more humble than, uh, some may get credit for. And, you know, um, when Haley first started going through her stuff and I mean, him, him, him and I have talked about this, but. Uh, because I think we have a lot of similarities. There was also a lot of, uh, beef where, um, we didn't have the grace of relationships, but after I saw what, you know, he would text me or call me and stuff. Hey, just checking on Haley, you know, uh, his oldest son was down there. Hey, if you need anything, let him know he's right there. He's got the college, you know, he's in a fraternity. So just, just things like that, where even though we maybe not have seen eye to eye on certain things. Um, knowing that his true passion was the brotherhood and the fire service, uh, really meant a lot. And, you know, whenever, uh, whenever I got back, um, I went to his, uh, he was on work at work one day and for probably about three or four hours, we kind of hashed everything out, buried the hatchet and, you know, had that, that respect of coming back out of where it probably should have been before, you know, my ego and other stuff got in the way. So, you know, um, it's it's good to have him. Um, I'm glad that he's there. 
Um, I don't think he's ever leaving, <laughs> but you know, his wife might have other plans for that, but uh, you know, it's, it's great that he's left such a, a an imprint on um, our region and, you know, he's, he's definitely legit on it. So. Um, yeah. Did he, is he the one that came up with, um, there, there was a class, there was a section of the Academy called the life of a, the, the life of a recruit or something like that, or the life of, uh, life of a probie. Uh, was that, is that out of his brain? I think that was Shannon Stone. I think okay. Shannon put that Chief Stone put that together. Gotcha. But I'm sure there's definitely influence on there being the you know their history of best friends together. But yeah, I know he did that, and then um, you know a lot of the things that when Escambia Fire first started, you know, before I was there, of bringing in a lot of the pride and ownership stuff too. You know, he brought Rick Lasky in, and you know he's brought um, you know all the conference speakers to the beach, and we can always have access to those. But, um, you know, seeing these guys from bigger departments or the fire department legends come down here and they're like, you know, you realize they're just other humans that are doing the job and they like doing it just as much as you do. They're just in a different situation. Definitely uh, was not only humbling, but also empowering, you know, the simple fact that, you know, we're now the largest fire department in Northwest Florida and, you know, every company has their own patch. So having that, you know, not just community aspect, but the the history. And there's definitely some inside jokes on some of them. But, you know, that's something that, you know, 20 years from now, when, you know, if my son decides to be a fireman, he goes to Escambia, then, you know, there's definitely going to be a legacy on, you know, Chief Ike and a lot of other guys that were those plank owners of establishing and putting themselves out there. And, you know, even in some situations, like he said, maybe handled them the wrong way. But as we talked about earlier tonight, it's, if you've never been in those situations, you don't know how to grow either. So, um, yeah, definitely appreciate his his mature look on not just the fire service but life in general. So, indeed. Um, uh, what about uh, beyond minimum standards? Is that is a that is a requirement for Escambia County? Is it not? Yeah. Um, so that's something that he started uh, when we first started hiring guys. And I want to say the first group of guys was something like five months long, three or five months long. Um, I know when I got hired in 09, we had to do six weeks and we went to class Monday through Friday and then I'm sorry, Monday through Thursday. And then we were off Friday and then um, the guys had to either work a 24 hour shift on Friday or Saturday and then while we were at those stations doing our rides, we had like a light of duty death to read or um, we were required to do physical fitness and these other things. So it was six weeks then. And then as we developed over time, we even brought in some outside departments um, to come in. And then the most recent one that I ran, um, you know, got Chief Ike and uh, a lot of guys from the department to come out and do presentations and do instructing. Just, yeah, it's just one of those that, Right now it's three weeks. We're trying to get it back to four, but it's one of those, you know, we're trying to open department or open stations and do other things and we can't have them in the office for too long, but there's definitely the emphasis on, you know, baseline skill knowledge and experience that we're trying to impart on them. So, um, you know, we now have a more formalized probationary program where there's a task book that has to be completed and they wear an orange front shield 
to mark them as a trainee. That way, if there is something to be learned or just the accountability of, let me keep an extra eye on him that's there. And then the formalized, you know, you completed the task required of you. Here's your front shield. So you get the ownership of that. So, um, but yeah, that's what our beyond minimum standards is, is uh, just an in-house somewhat of an academy on, you know, all the 23 years that we've learned, you know, good way, bad way, indifferent of why we do things the way we do. So. I like it, man. I like it. I actually got um, <clears throat> several years ago, I think that I, I reached out to you and got a copy of that because um, mm -hmm. I wanted to pull some stuff out of it and bring it to our department, which went very well. Uh, it's a very well-organized packet of stuff, and I appreciate you doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing that we have. I don't think anybody in our department will hide and say, oh, well, you know, or I really don't think, again, just being in the office going on two years now, I don't think anybody wants to, like, copyright or other stuff. If, if we've learned the lesson and we can impart it on you or anybody else, you know, reach out. We'll always tell you guys, you know, I put all of our SOGs on a public web page so anybody can see them, you know, our different forms or different other stuff. We understand that being large comes with responsibility, but also comes with the privilege of, you know, a little bit of, um, I don't know if you call it arrogance, but we know that we're, we're good at what we do. You know, we run a lot of fires, run a lot of extrications, we run a lot of, you know, special operations calls. We just had one this last week where, you know, a guy was on the second floor of a home that they are building out an iterary point. There was no floor in the home and he fell and had to be used with a rope rescue to get him out of a window from the second floor. You know, that's a once in career thing for some people. And it's just, you know, as we say, it's just another day in Escambia. So, you know, we're, we're exposed to a lot of things. And I know that we have the responsibility to help expose others to, hey, this is what we've learned. This is how we did it. But we also know we have the expectation of, you know, well, if we do it this way or we say it's this way, then it better be right. And that's where, you know, I think that us, at least in the training division, are taking that that stance of, you know, objective-based training and uh, probation and officer development and, you know, teaching classes and having anything else that we have for our guys just to make them better. That way it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I like it, man. I like it a lot. Well, uh, is there anything else you, sir, would like to hit on or talk about or, uh, anything we might have missed that you want to cover or anything like that, sir? Any questions you might have for us? Yeah, that too. No. Um, you know, I think we did a, a very broad spectrum conversation. I know, you know, on a little prep talk last night, we said, you know, anything off limits, anything you want to talk about. And, you know, I just like having conversations with like-minded guys. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we were able to have this conversation tonight from, you know, fun things about you not being able to say words at the beginning or saying quickly too many times all the way to, you know, formal conversations about mental health. And, you know, even though you guys are over there and I'm over here and, you know, this whole remote stuff worked out pretty well, I'm, I'm glad to be able to tap into some, some new friendships and developing friendships of, you know, learning and having somebody reach out to and say, Hey, I'm, I'm going through this or, Hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And, you know, somebody else to add to the to the file for uh, iron sharpening iron. Absolutely, one hundred percent would. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, one hundred percent would love to uh, continue that for sure. Um, and thank you for being the guinea pig for this tonight. Uh, this is 
I mean, this literally came together in the last three days. No, not no less. About day, like actual time <laughs> I like, period. I would ask you it was probably twenty four hours. If that, yeah, you and I were very oblivious to uh, all the work he had to put into it. But oh, no, I got very- a, a text message and then had to ask my daughter what this uh, this app that we're using is called. So, but <laughs> yo, so, no, great job to Jacob for getting it all set up. Absolutely, shout out to Jacob for all this. Also, uh, Greg Bartle. to Mr. Greg Bartle, Mr. He was. Uh, he was on with us for quite some time earlier as Jacob was trying to work out the bugs. I am trying very hard to not say we worked out the bugs because I was no help in finding in in getting this to what it is right now. Uh, that was very much Jake and Greg. So thank you very much to both of y'all for that. Well, you were also kind of a guinea pig as well, trying to make sure who was hearing what and when. So you did help. Well, hold on now. Just because... I had two sets of headphones on at one time and still got confused. No, <laughs> I can't take credit for any of this stuff. Well, you you did help. Trust me, you did. Okay. Well, and there was ice cream at the end. So that there was, still was ice a cream at the end. That's good. Yeah, there is that. But uh, that's always a win. I thought so. I thought it was a good purchase the other night. Indeed, I was. Uh, I saw this. I saw this on the table, and I was just like, huh, huh, huh. look <laughs> what, what, what he's doing. Now you guys. Now you guys are teasing me. What, what were we talking here? We got the, um, Oreo dipped. No, I'll take the back. We got crunch dipped um, ice cream cones. It has uh, vanilla, vanilla fudge, and vanilla caramel. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Diabetes. I know we didn't hit it on too much, but you know, as much as we like to post workout videos, I also like to eat. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, life's about balance. I'm not going to die hungry, but I'm not going to die weak. So. Yeah, you're right about that. I I'll like say, that. In, in the words of John Bass, you got to eat big to get big. You know, I think I need to That's put right. that on the shirt. I'm not going to die hungry, but I'm not going to die weak. I like that a lot. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure that's he awesome. gets some of the proceeds to go that, to the farm. If that's not going to be a Kratos shirt, that's probably going to be an I Lift Heavy Shit shirt. One well, or the I'm, other or both. Yeah. I'm okay with it. That's fine. As long as yep. he gets proceeds back to the farm. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if you're looking yeah, it'll, for, it'll definitely buy feed and food and hay and all that stuff. So, you know, we're not a charity, but we'll definitely take donations. No, yeah, for sure. And if you're ever looking for like design stuff or want to get some, like a graphic design or something like that, uh, Arts in Motion, Miss Rachel Brockman. Brockman. Yeah, because hey, I got it wrong last you. time. Well, I got it wrong last time. I want to make sure. But uh, she's the one that does all our designs for us on the show that we're working on getting our merch out and all that kind of stuff. So. If well, uh, I will definitely be hitting you up with that because, you know, as we're starting to grow and, you know, we'll have, you know, babies for sale and eggs for sale and chicks and all that stuff, um, you know, wanting to go to farmer's markets and stuff, we definitely need the uh, the branding aspect. So I will definitely hit you up for Miss Rachel's information. Absolutely. We, can, like we can get that to you. Um, thank you very much for being on with us tonight, sir. Uh, it was yeah. I was very I was very much looking forward to having you on the show. Um and uh, I, I'm I'm glad we were able to do this and make this work tonight. It I think it went yep. very well, uh, with no major complications at all with our first remote show. So this is good. This this helps us branch out to getting a more broad aspect of guests. Like I'm gonna start reaching out to just people I ain't got no business talking to. Like I'm gonna reach out to Brian <laughs> Shaw. I'm gonna reach out to. I'm gonna reach out to Kobe. No, I ain't gonna reach out to Kobe. My bad. I meant I meant to say Snoop, but no. yeah. Rest, rest in peace, Kobe. I'm so sorry. I'm so hungry. Conversation with him. So. Gonna say who's our medium? 
Who's our medium? Yeah. And that that and that that little blonde headed angry woman, the Manhattan medium. Maybe. I saw her on a TV <laughs> show one time and I thought it was the most ridiculous yeah. thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, they're out there, supposedly. Yeah, they're out there. That's a yeah. great way to put it. Yeah, they're <laughs> out there. Sure. Goobers. Yeah. Well, it was a great meet you, Jacob. I know I haven't met you in person and you know, Josh uh will definitely have to face to face here pretty soon. But uh, you know, I I definitely consider it a, a privilege to you know, share my ideas. And again, I'm just, you know, like-minded like you guys and, you know, putting the, putting it out there. If somebody wants to take it, it's there. If not, you know, it's kind of like fishing. You either take the bait or you don't, although it'd be called catching. So absolutely. Um, you know, brother. Thank you. Thank you guys for putting the, putting yourselves out there. Um, talking about, like we said, those uncomfortable conversations and, you know, even if it just makes one person uh, think twice, then I think, you know, the, the best thing you could do in life is, you know, uh, influence or save someone else. And, uh, even though you might not be in the fire service anymore, Josh, I definitely think you're still making an impact, you know, throughout the area. So thank you for doing that. Well, I appreciate you saying that, sir. Um, just, uh, a couple things we are, um, we're still working with, uh, Rachel on getting some stuff designed and mm-hmm. getting merch out. That is, that is coming ladies and gentlemen, bear with us. We're, we're we're working on it. Uh, this coming Wednesday, as a matter of fact, the day the show drops, is it Wednesday or is it the thirteenth? Whatever day the thirteenth is on, I believe that is Wednesday. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh huh. We're going yes. to the After Dusk concert. Uh, yes. For um, Corey. Yes. Looking very much forward to that. Which, by the way, do you think Mister Cap here can be at the show? It is in Pensacola. Uh, maybe. Uh, it is at a little place called Handlebar. Um, I don't know where that is to even tell you what's this, around it. Yeah, it's downtown Pensacola, but um, this Wednesday I actually have class, so part of that whole finish your school while you can. Um, I'm in intro to public administration class on Wednesday, so if uh, somebody wants to come to class and then I'll go to the concert, I will gladly take them up on that. You know, you can just ask someone in your class was to record the class. I think you just that- like, watch it later. You know, there you go. I, hey, you we know, could do this remotely. I could do my class remotely, right? In defense modern of him, problems for, require modern solutions. Well, in defense <laughs> of him for that, if I wasn't there for that class to sit and listen to it, I'm not going to watch a video of it. I know me. That <laughs> that title sounded like it's going to be a terrible class. It sounded like I needed a nap. If I'm not going to be there in person, I'm just going to miss it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, but, you know, at, at 40 years old, having done this for 20 years and especially working for a county government, all they're doing is just putting the terms to people I know. So <laughs> part of the process. TN4. Well, for for Captain Richardson, for my brother, Mr. Jacob Giles, um, we're going to wrap it up right here. Uh, it is Suicide Awareness Month or Suicide Prevention Month. Uh, I just learned that not long ago. So it is, um, I guess, very good that we had that conversation tonight and just be there. You know, Joel said it best. It's really, it's it's a very short sentence. It's very poignant. You know, be a good human. Uh, that's that's all we got to do. Just check on each other. Make sure everybody's getting getting the love they need and just being being around when you can be around, If even if it's just a text message. So, also, today is the 10th of September. Uh, tomorrow is September 11th. Uh, let us not forget what that day means. 
Um, actually, one of my instructors at Midway Fire Academy helped helped change some terminology for me. Uh, instructor Erickson, I believe his name was. Um, Caleb. Sir? Yeah, Caleb. Caleb, yep. yeah. He's, he's, he's one of my four in the circle, by the way. So, yeah. you know, um, the out, whole outstanding paramedic, even better person. Anytime that 9-11 came up uh, or someone involved with 9-11 came up, they did not die on 9-11. They were murdered on 9-11. Uh, and I have used that terminology since. So, um, you know, tomorrow as I do, I will, I'm going to, I'll make my post. I'll post all the names of every firefighter that was killed. And uh, just just remember what that means. Let's let's try to remember of the unity that the United States felt on September twelfth, and see if we can see if we can tap into that and bring some of that back because we need it more than ever right now. Yeah, we do. Um, Absolutely. But thank you, Joel, again for being here. We're gonna have to do this again in the future. Um, sure. And. Uh, with that being said, for, for Joel, for Jacob, and for myself, ladies and gentlemen, we are out. Have a good night, everybody.